Hello and welcome to episode 75, a landmark podcast in the history of Film Yak. I'm John. I'm Kevin. I'm JR. There's nothing really landmark about it though, it's just a normal episode, it's JR's pick. We're going to be talking about 40 Guns, Samuel Fuller's black and white western. I don't really know what else to uh, describe it as, just a, a western from the 50s. Uh, people call it a feminist western, which I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't know where it is. It has a female in it. <laughs> I mean, if like if you want to if you want to say um, like Johnny Guitar is a feminist western, more so than this for sure. Yeah, like I this would, I would say so. Yeah, like this just happens to have like this, you know. If anything, well, we, if we'll, if, we'll, if, if get, it was if it was it feminist and she's supposed to be a strong female character, she certainly loses all of that in the last three minutes of the movie. Oh, it's like... <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. Like, like that. Let's save it for the end. All right. Um, anyway. We are, we are all healthy, to say. Which hey, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I haven't coughed that's in true. a couple of days, uh, so I feel pretty good. <laughs> My I, cough is finally gone. I've coughed a little bit today, but I also ran around on a trampoline Stay with a three-year-old. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're going to be talking about 40 Guns. We're also going to be talking about other things we watched and uh, a teeny tiny bit of news, which I will bring up in a moment. How are you guys doing? Wonderfully. Yeah. You know, again, I... I went through my flu-like symptoms and I came out alive. Mm. Did you have the flu? I don't think so. I never had a fever. Oh, that's good. But I also never went to the doctor to find out. Okay. Yeah, I always go to the doctor and then they swab you or whatever. Do that thing in your nose, you know? Yeah. I had the flu. Even though I got the flu shot. So. I had a sinus infection. Brutal. Oh, I think... Uh, no, no, no. My, my daughter had a sinus infection. So, yeah. Ah. Everybody's being sick. It's that time of year. It's yeah. The it's... gross time. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, I guess I just wanted to bring up real quick... Uh, I thought it was pretty... I think it's pretty big news. I feel like nobody's really talking about it. But this idea that Netflix is uh, essentially subcontracted uh, Criterion to release their oh, films... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, I mean, Roma was already announced as a release, mm. and then all of a sudden this week, um, The Irishman, Atlantics, American Factory, and Marriage Story were all announced to be released on Criterion Blu-ray this year, which uh, is fantastic, you know. Mm. So I, I just, I, and I think it's a, a really smart move on, on Netflix's part because. Absolutely. Those, like, for one, it takes away their, you know, responsibility to have to worry about the mass production of those things. And two, which I'm sure they don't sell a lot of their shit anyway, except for, like, maybe, like, uh, Stranger Things, things like that, you know? Mm. And, I mean, they haven't even released a lot of their films on, on Blu ray. Right. So that's, it's just good to have that they're going to have a physical release at all. But then also, um, the fact that, you know, two of the, at least two of those films, Marriage Story and, Irishmen are, you know, those aren't going to sell well anyways if you like mass produce them through a regular label. Whereas if you make them in Criterion editions, they'll, they'll probably actually sell more because people will, you know, they insist on having those Criterions. Right. And it, I think the movies they picked were, uh, so far, I'm sure they'll, they'll do more. Uh, and this is, this reminds me of, uh, Criterion did this with IFC when they started, uh, releasing a lot of their movies onto their, like, on demand cable service. Mm. Uh, things like Everlasting Moments and uh, actually a bunch more. I wish I could remember the name of one. Uh, but <laughs> the uh, like Noah Bombach makes sense. He's got movies on the label already. Uh, 
I'd imagine Criterion, like everyone, like every boutique label probably wants to be in the Martin Scorsese business for sure. the Irishman. Sure. I think both Criterion and Netflix are betting on um, American Factory winning the Best Documentary Oscar, give it a little bit more clout. And then Atlantic's, I haven't seen yet, but it's just supposed to be like a really touching, you know, foreign movie that kind of fits in with the movies that, you know, Criterion might release 20 years down the line. Um, yeah. So they're just like releasing it now, and that's great. The question is, and I've seen some uh, some amateur, uh, you know, video cover design art online that makes me uh, think I'm leaning one way about it. But will Criterion re- release The Irishman as I heard you paint houses? Because in the film, have you seen the film, Kevin? Yeah. Okay. In the film. It's that's the title of the film. There is no Irishman title until the very end, right? So it's like mm. it's introduced as "I heard you paint houses," right? I mean, that's the name of the book, and obviously that's the name Scorsese wanted, probably, and was yeah, yeah. forced to make it more commercial. I I suspect that Criterion will not release it as that, but that "I heard you paint houses" will be on the cover in like quotation marks, mm. or like yeah, totally like, like a that. like a tagline. <laughs> I don't, well, not like a tagline, just like they've done some covers or like a piece of dialogue or something was was featured, mm. okay. like a, a line was right. featured on it. Like there are there is writing on Criterion covers sometimes, so right. I could I could see this being a case of. Uh, that. It also drives me nuts that, and I talked about this with the in our text, but it drives me nuts that something like uh, Buster Scruggs is not being announced and mm. also especially since again yeah the Coens have stuff on Criterion yeah and the fact that uh the Meyerowitz stories has still yet to be released on physical media and you know but, it's an earlier Bombach film I think uh I think this should give you hope that the Meyerowitz story is something that could appear in the future though no I agree I yeah, mean I yeah, think yeah. It, if, it, if this goes well and their partnership continues I'm sure it will but it's just it's annoying because I that's the I prefer that film over Marriage Story uh, quite a bit so I would love to rewatch that on a baby blue. Plus, I mean, just yep. the idea that, you know, Marriage Story and Irishman, you don't get to see them on, uh, like, their original films are compressed. You know, you're watching them oh, through yeah, streaming, yeah, so yeah. They, the, the quality is <laughs> never going to be as good as, as physical. So it's just great that they're getting a physical release, and mm. you couldn't pick somebody better than Criterion, I don't think, to. Uh, right. Do I, do, I do think it's interesting that Criterion is definitely announcing themselves as, like, back in the popular movie business mm. like, like that's yeah. it's it's been a while they they've had these periods in their history of like where they release oscar winning or popular movies that are you know they say good movies too but um it has been a while i think since they have courted uh popularity quite like this and i, I know the average like film goer is not like super excited about the irishman but as far as criterion standards go that's a very mainstream movie oh completely mm, yeah. and i mean i think uh the the, the fact that they release con- they can't they consistently release wes anderson films on yeah on the format i think that's you know again uh, a cash yeah. cow for them probably and you know even though i mean he's kind of a niche uh, yeah. market but it's still he's big within that indie world yeah and he's yeah and did is uh, Isle of Dogs on Criterion, or is that... I don't believe so. It will be, one yeah, day. Sure. I yeah, mean, they're, they're just announced they, Yeah, they just Budapest, announced right? Grand Budapest, which came out in 2013. Yeah. So that's, that's what I was I, Yeah, so Isle of okay. Dogs like, probably won't be too far behind. 
and this new one is probably you know a lot of most of them went straight to Criterion. I feel like I think uh, Moonrise Kingdom did. And, I thought. Uh, um, oh, I, I thought only uh, Life Aquatic did that. But I thought. I mean, maybe I mean, not, yeah, maybe not wrong. maybe not straight to, but like really soon after they were released. Yeah, they like, were on per, Criterion. like like Moonrise Kingdom wasn't straight to criterion but it was really quick like it was quick quicker than grand budapest right right um, That's what i do I think life yeah. aquatic that was the first dvd release yeah i think so i remember that being available in a blockbuster to buy very quickly right. it's cheap now too i mean just to, yeah. like it's one of their cheaper um whatever releases so yeah because it sucks it doesn't i'm sorry it doesn't <laughs> suck. i honestly haven't seen it in so long i don't even know if it sucks but uh I uh okay, well let's talk I guess let's talk real quick about uh now Kevin, did you watch the Vivarium trailer? I started it. <laughs> I guess that tells us lost, how you feel about that. Lost one. Interest. <laughs> yeah, I mean like like well I don't I, think this I, would I t- be I'll, something you'd be into. Well I told JR off off air, like uh like it looks better than Suburbicon. Oh, okay, yeah. Um but yeah, I like JR ch- called and then I was like Eh, I'll just watch this later. Well, when when I was watching Vivarium, the trailer, I was thinking to myself, you know, this is another one of these, you know, speculative fiction, Twilight Zone inspired kind of, uh, you know, they've just been doing this a lot, it feels like. And with the uh, popularity of Black Mirror and things like this, and uh, Twilight Zone itself actually coming back. Yeah. it was just really, I was really just kind of like not interested, but I, I don't know. The trailer won me over. I'm pretty, okay. in, I'm pretty excited about it. And I'm, I mean, you know, within reason. <laughs> right, right, right. I like Eisenberg. I like yeah. Poots. Uh, so, uh, and it just looks like, I like the the idea of it, you know, these people being stuck and kind of being driven insane and, you know, it descending into chaos. Mm-hmm. I'm always into that sort of thing. Looks like there's a pretty, um, pretty easy domestic metaphor going on right you know these people are literally stuck in uh in this like starter home that they didn't want with they a child are delivered they a baby that they did not want right 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 but um i yeah i i thought the trailer was quite amusing yeah i mean you know it's like i say it was uh kind of a pleasant surprise so I, i'm looking forward to it hmm. um and then I, I guess we could we could talk a little bit about the last thing he wanted <laughs> Which yeah. is that new Netflix movie? Which I, you know, I wrote about my my post that Anne Hathaway just uh, <laughs> a real uh, a real fall from grace for this lady. <laughs> I, I mean, not that this movie it doesn't have a certain level of cachet just based on the fact that you know it's it's a uh, I mean Netflix at this point is you know getting in there and Willem Dafoe is in this as her father. Mm. Of course, he's kind of like you know he seems like the go to guy at this point, and a lot of people are just grabbing him for their movies. <laughs> Like for when he shows up in the trailer, I was like, "Okay, now we're gonna get a comedy beat in the trailer." Uh-huh. Oh, we didn't get that. That's weird. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, because like like the way he's introduced is very much like, "Oh, like she's gonna like she's gonna follow him through his merry escapades, and then like he, then he, he, then things are gonna get serious." And then and, he vanishes out of the trailer. You never see him again. <laughs> yeah, and, until like at the very end, like yeah. Anne Hathaway, they, they Ben Affleck, name. Willem Dafoe. Right. No, oh yeah. The fact and that Willem the fact that Ben Affleck is in this too also it's just like I don't know. It's got a, it's got a pretty big cast, but it's yeah. yeah. Ben Affleck was going to be my example of uh, Ben Affleck. I mean, sure, Ben Affleck's in shitty movies, but he's not just he doesn't say yes to everything, right? Mm-hmm. Which you know I think is notable. Like even though um, 
I want to call it Total Recall. What was the name of the other shitty Netflix movie he's in? Triple Frontier. Yeah, a- Action Dads. Yeah, Action Dads. Action Dads. Oh. <laughs> um, like that's not a good movie, but like he <laughs> signed on to work with like a good cast and a good director. Sure. And that's probably this. Like again, uh, D. Rees did Pariah and did Mudbound. Um, oh, I, I think I those are, are good Pariah movies. Either I didn't know that. Mm. This does not look as good as as Mudbound, but. Yeah, whatever. Was Pariah good? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, it's like a. I don't. I don't know that it was her debut. It definitely felt like a debut. Um, and it's you know anchored by a couple of really good performances, and it's yeah. not great, but good. I got serious Argo vibes from the trailer. From this trailer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could see that. Well, I mean, I mean a, a Affleck lot, a lot, being yeah, a lot in of it because yeah. that's what Affleck Ben says yes to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it's like Argo, great. But yeah, um, yeah, and just the kind of like political thriller aspect of sure. it. Sure, yeah. And I guess uh, finally, um, the the Jesus Rolls teaser. I've been hearing about this one for a while. John mm-hmm. Turturro, uh, I, you know, I don't understand what why he's doing this. <laughs> like it, yeah. it, it seems like he's got he's. I don't know if he's just like he must have had a really good idea or he thought he had a really good idea. And he was like, mm. I'm going to make this movie about this character that, you know, I played 20 years ago, but, mm. uh, this trailer, this teaser does absolutely nothing for me. And, uh, I don't know. It just looks really awful. It looks really cheap and terrible. I, yeah. I, I think it was maybe a mistake to immediately go with, you know, the bowling was a mistake, but to go with like the sort of, uh, dreamy imagery that was in the right, last right. Uh, uh, the mm. last the last Mohican no the Big Lebowski <laughs> uh, I don't I think it was a mistake because we don't it doesn't give us anything besides just like a cheapened visual version of what we saw in the Big Lebowski absolutely mm. well I don't, I don't you know it's like I don't know that this movie will be bad but I, I don't know that either not a good but teaser exactly the teaser doesn't teaser. make it look good so yeah and like. I don't know, like, I'm wondering, too, like, I guess most people, including maybe Totoro, like, forgot that, like, yeah, Jesus was a really, like, out-there eccentric character, but he was also a convicted pedophile. Oh, that's, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's, like, I mean, granted, dude. yeah, (laughs) eight-year-olds, dude, I mean... Um, yeah. No. Like, I, how, yeah, it's going to be a, yeah. a challenge to. Uh, yeah, especially like like depends on what it's about, I guess. But yeah, yeah, because you know, not to sound like you know some alt right douchebag, but like in this day and age, <laughs> where like that kind of thing is, you know, like obviously it's always been frowned upon, but like you know these <laughs> like these sorts these sorts of things are Adults. like kind of well, um, but yeah, like where this this kind of thing is like pointed out and like. We're in a delicate you know, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, that does it for the trailers. So, uh, you know, feel free to write to us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com if you want to uh, say anything about these trailers or ask mm. us any questions. Is there, real real quick, is there anything like any of us are super looking forward to in 2020? Oh, of course. No, I hate, hate movies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we all have watch lists on our uh, on our uh, letterbox, and I mean, I just added the movie, the new uh, 
uh, Cronenberg, not Cronenberg, but his son. Uh, oh. What's the name? Brandon? Yeah, Brandon Cronenberg. He's got a new movie called Possessor that's playing at Sundance right now. It's supposed to oh, be okay. really out there and mm. dis- disgusting. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then uh, the new Spike Lee movie uh, is called The Five Bloods, and uh, it's about uh, Vietnam. So oh, okay. I'm interested in that very much. Mm. And uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a few others even that I'm not thinking of or not seeing right now. But okay, I I tend to stay away from you know, like those lists that are like uh, you know the hundred movies we're looking forward to in 2020, mm. just because they don't interest me. And often, like those movies don't get released in 2020 because right. they're going to play at festivals and don't get bought uh, and then distributed till later. Um, so I. Like the things I've been adding to my watch list are things that I've playing been playing at Sundance that sound interesting. Like the uh, Shirley Jackson movie ah. sounded interesting to me, um, so I hope to see that at some point. But sure. yeah, you know, I I am not totally I'm not very aware of what's coming out besides like the mega blockbusters. Oh, well, speaking like of a me- couple of Marvel movies and Fast and Furious. No, well, okay, but beyond that, an actual possibly good blockbuster, uh Dune coming out oh, at yeah, Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So and they just released the logo for that. Uh the official logo. The logo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I mean it's it's a it's a definite um jewel for a, 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 going. for a mm-hmm. production that hasn't released hardly shit uh, as far yeah, as imagery yeah. from the film, they've released nothing almost. I mean, landscape pictures essentially. Um, but uh, other movies that I want to see visual landscape photos. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure they're real. They filmed in yeah. the desert and stuff. Um, I want to see Kelly Riker's new film, First Cow. Been oh, right. uh, yes. hearing about that yeah. one for a while, and mm-hmm. uh, the trailer looks good. And I want to see the new. Uh, uh, the Holocaust film, The Painted Bird, which is apparently uh, a real, uh, I don't know, you know, just makes you, just fucks with you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So. oh um, we didn't talk about it the the other day, but like that um, Escape from Pretoria. Oh, Pretoria. Yeah, yeah. That looks I, really good. I'll ga- see that really too at some point. I mean, I don't, I'm not a huge Daniel Radcliffe fan, but, mm. uh, and I don't think he looks particularly good in this either. But I, you know, the the story looks great, and I love yeah, any yeah. kind of a prison escape film. I mean, hard yeah. to hard to fuck that one up unless you're, you know, Sly Stallone and Schwarzenegger. So, yeah, because um, that was pretty shit. <laughs> all right, well, let's get to uh, what we watched, mm. and uh, who wants to begin? I'll start this Do time. It. I'm. I've got uh, I've got some enthusiasm to burn. Ooh. Um. If you were checking my letterbox, you saw I gave a four and a half to uh, Little Women. Spoiler alert. That's where, that's where this review is going. Mm-mm. Uh, see, now I have to see Little Women. <laughs> and I mean, and I not, think you should. I wasn't made to see it. It's. I know. I wasn't not going to see it. Like on, I just. I'm not a. I wasn't a huge fan of Lady Bird, and it obviously Little Women's just not like doesn't like it's not a big thing for me. I'm not like right, looking right. forward to it. But I like everybody who's in it, so I mean, I'll see it eventually. So okay. yeah, and I have, I have no well, this, I want to say I don't have a history with uh, Little Women, but I mean, like I read it in fourth or fifth grade, and I have seen the '90s one, I've seen the '30s one, and I don't really care for either of those, and I don't remember the book. But uh, this is like a this is like a hot damn situation for me, like. I really went to see it in theaters because it was nominated for Best Picture, and my wife really wanted to go. And that was 
like whenever she really wants to go see a movie, I get pretty excited because she doesn't like movies. Mm. Uh, Except you, you, pick, you pick the one, John. <laughs> the one yeah, for you. Right. She so she loves uh, she loves Christmas rom coms, but we don't go. <laughs> besides last Christmas, we don't go see those. She watches those at home with friends. Right. Um, but like the this is this is better than Lady Bird. Like just far and away, so much. And I like Lady Bird, but it's so much better. Greta Gerwig just like gives so much life to this Civil War story that I just assumed would be boring. Yeah, but it is. There is no <laughs> moment that is boring. Uh, like Saoirse Ronan is amazing as this uh, middle sister Joe and this March family that is, you know. For the most part, a mom and four sisters. The dad is there, but he's he's barely there. Uh, she's a teacher and struggling writer in New York City with a sick younger sister back in Massachusetts. And her family has separated over the years with older, oldest sister, Emma Watson, getting married to some rando. And the younger sister or youngest sister, Florence Pugh, kind of staying, living with uh, their aunt in Paris, studying painting and like actively trying to find a rich husband and uh, Laura Dern, the mother is still in Massachusetts with the youngest sister, the girl who was in um, the fucking, uh, the fucking show that Amy Adams was in. Damn. Sharp objects. Sharp objects. There Patricia we go. Patricia Clarkson. <laughs> no, no. Eliza Scanlon, but that name means nothing to me. I, I've seen sharp objects and my wife had to, t- I was like, who is that girl? And I was like, you watched Sharp Objects. You've seen her. I was like, oh, no, no memory at all. <laughs> uh, so Garrick, she splits the, the narrative. We have like the present day and then seven years ago, um, which was seven years ago was during the Civil War and their father was at war. And at first the flashbacks are like really annoying because I was immediately invested in Joe's present. Uh, she's like really funny. And watching her be like awkwardly courted by Louis Grell was really fun, uh, but kind of like settled into the flashbacks when they got more interesting. And uh, the past features like a really awesome Timothy Chalamet, and we want more Timothy Chalamet. Is he? Yeah, is he good in it then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's the uh, like the rich bum of a of a neighbor <laughs> falls in love with Joe. Like he's. He's just like a spoiled uh, kid. Florence Pugh gets like really jealous of the relationship, tries to squeeze herself in. She's brilliant. Everyone's really? Brilliant. She's brilliant. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I definitely will have to see this. I'm not, I'm not done. Okay. No, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm, not say, I'm not saying you are. Go ahead. <laughs> I was kidding. Jesus. Um, like, <laughs> I'm like really mad. about a Justin Lin film here. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Get that I, know, right? I haven't felt yeah. this much enthusiasm <laughs> since I watched the Fast and Furious 9 trailer. Um, <laughs> five minutes ago. Yeah, like Ronan and Pew, like they need to win their Oscar categories. They won't. Chalamet, uh, yeah, they won't. You're right. They won't. <laughs> Chalamet should have gotten. Uh, he should have gotten nominated. Laura Dern should have been nominated for this film, not Marriage Story. She's good. In Chris story. Cooper was Chalamet's grandfather. He made me fucking cry. Really? Uh, yeah. Is tra- isn't Tracy like crotchety- is Tracy Letson? Is he the father? I'm getting to him. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I really was going to mention Tracy Letts just like steals a few scenes. He's not the father. He's, oh, he's a uh, he's a publisher that Joe sells stories to. Mm-hmm. He's he's in three scenes, but they're all 
pretty great. Okay, great. Um, I love Tracy Letts. I think this is uh, like one of the best looking films of the year. Like it should be nominated for cinematography. Um, just like another fucking knock on Joker stealing someone's nomination. What what is um, what do you think the uh, not to not to get away from this, but like no, what do you think the um, reasoning is behind that? Like how how Gerwig isn't nominated for director? Is it just like a crowded field, or I mean, because I mean that's like that was like a huge thing they're talking about, like it's anti, like anti woman somehow or something, you know? Because like J Lo wasn't nominated, Gerwig wasn't it's, nominated, but I know those aren't the same things; so those aren't equal. But you know. it, it's not like I just so I cannot. The when we talk about the Academy, we're talking about thousands of individuals who are not like all on one text thread, like telling each other what to vote for. Right. I'm like I'm sure like in you know small pockets, people are talking. They all work in one industry, but I just I don't think there's like a an explicit anti-female sentiment so much as just like. Joker was probably the most seen movie of any of these nominations. So it's just like, it's just on people's ballot because they're like, oh, I fucking saw that. And I really liked Joaquin. So I'll just nominate it for everything. Right. I, I think it's more of that. But then issue. you think about there are, there's clearly like, I mean, okay. I agree with that. That makes total sense, right? And I agree. Like most people, most of the Academy members probably don't see half the shit they're, they, that are, that's on the ballot, which is why yeah. th- those things don't get voted for. But it's like, then, but then you have the situation where uh, Cynthia Erivo or whatever from Harriet gets nominated for a movie that nobody saw. You know, <laughs> it's like, how's that so happen? I actually was listening to a podcast, uh, one of the playlist podcasts uh, the other day or to yesterday, I think. And their their theory on that was interesting. Like every year, the like that category specifically best actress in a leading role is like the least interesting category with the worst movies in it because for some reason like all the interesting movies with female leads come out and they're like not just like don't look like oscar movies they're indie movies they're small they're weird Hmm. uh but then so it's like there's it's it's almost like people have like this just subconscious like let me go find uh, the historical movies and the biopics that starred women, and that's just what we'll what we'll do. It's like, yeah, have I seen like Harriet, Judy, Bombshell are all just like biopics or docudramas with real people and women dressing up in makeup to play those real people, and that's and they're Oscar bait. I mean, they're clearly made yeah. to look that way and mm-hmm. to play that way. It's interesting. I don't. I don't understand like why that's a thing because that doesn't seem to be as much of a thing for actor. Um, like it, it feels especially I, grievous though in this situation where you've got Little Women nominated for Best Picture, but you can't give Gerwig the nomination for Director. When I, and it does feel just like it's well, it's you know the crowd, the field, the field is crowded, and yeah. we, don't, we don't nominate as many directors as we do uh, pictures and mm. all that kind of shit. So it's just. But, and before I saw the movie, you know, I immediately thought, well, like, okay, maybe the movie's good, but maybe Gerwig's direction is not very interesting. And, you know, I I figured it's probably going to be better than Todd Phillips's because I don't like that movie at all. Um, but it's better than everyone's besides Bong Joon-ho's. It's, it's just, it's great. 
better than Scorsese's. Yeah, I mean, I like this movie a lot more than The Irishman. I don't think Greta Gerwig's a better director than Martin Scorsese. But her direction, no, look at but what you just said, JR. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. I get it. It's all good. Yeah, that's uh, well, that's a, a rave review for Little Women, and I now have to. It's definitely shot to yeah. the top of the list for me, I guess. I'm going to have to see I'm, that uh, shit immediately. <laughs> I'm, I'm, rarely, I'm rarely this enthusiastic. I know. Um, I, gave it, I gave it a four and a half just because, like, Nothing's a five. There's, there's one scene at the end where um, there's one scene at the end where I feel like Greta Gerwig kind of oversells a theme in a very obvious way, even though that the scene itself is, you know, pretty enjoyable. It just kind of like left a bad taste in my mouth, and mm. it probably would have been less offensive if it were not so close to the end. But um, you know, again, this is. Second best film of the year, even though I can't officially say that because we already did our list. You can change your wow. list, man. Jeez, <laughs> come kidding. on. No, second yeah, absolutely best. second best film of the year. Wow. Loved it. Uh, wow. Until you see Young Pet Gems. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're, I mean, you're right. I, yeah, I accept yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Kevin? Um, so I don't have too much to say about it, but I finally saw Joker, and I didn't like it. Mm. Oh, thank God. Oh, man. <laughs> no, man. Like, this... <laughs> I like yeah like like everybody like like everybody I've heard I've heard all the hype around it I've you know heard this I've heard that I think it looks like trash uh like so si- since we've got uh, Disney Plus my brother and I have been watching the show Gargoyles oh yeah and, yeah and we were talking yesterday about like how great the continuity is in the show like if something happens in like episode three, like you like you know from what they've set up, like what's you know, like what can or can't happen in like episode seven or eight, hmm. like you know things things come back, things are remembered. Consistent, it's, you know, yeah, it's yeah. very very consistent and very concise. I, I gotta say, Kevin, this sounds like absolute nonsense, but I do love this take because I love gargoyles. <laughs> cool. I, I wish I, re- I wish I remembered it and or had watched it recently. Well, it's on it's on Disney it's on Plus. Dis- get on Disney it, Plus, bud. yeah. Um nice. I'll get to it. Yeah. So like and like Joker is a great example of how like how you need to pay attention to things and like make them consistent. Like one like for me the biggest thing with uh Arthur Fleck is like there are times where he seems like his character seems for lack of a bit more polite phrase simple mm. whereas like there are other times where he's you know man of the people and it's got a lot of like really articulate things to say yeah i agree he goes from savvy to like moronic yeah <laughs> yeah like within like scenes of each other sure. now i mean i i understand i mean i don't know i'm not a psychology professor like you like this kind of thing could be a very you know common thing with people like him but like it really like it goes back and forth between like being one thing and being another like you know it's a movie about classism but it's also a movie about mental health and like yes i understand the two of those are intertwined but like they don't intertwine it well in this movie and the way i mean the way it's about mental health in such a surface way though i mean it's yeah. like it's 
it's really not about that. It's like it's such a superficial look at. It's like it reminds me of. Um, I was like watching the interviews on uh, Julian Donkey Boy when I when I watched it for episode fifty, mm. and it was uh, like what he was what Kareen was talking about when when he talked about that film. He said, "I want to make a movie about schizophrenia, but it's like really about schizophrenia, like about the like this people who, you know, like." take a dump in their hands and like rub it all over the windows and you know like and they don't remember that they did it and things like you know it's just this the nasty side of it you know yeah yeah and it's like this is like not that at all this is like your cliche like this is like what a 17 year old high school student would write a short story about you know this guy's crazy yeah. man and he kills these guys because they're making fun of him on the subway and then he you yeah. know it's just like and he, yeah, he paints and like, his face because he's he hates society man yeah. <laughs> and everybody's poor so he leads the revolution right, man yeah. it's brutal it's brutal yeah, it's, it's really it's really awful and like it's like it's like a movie that it's like it's like what stupid people think it's a sophisticated film you know what i mean it's like they think that this is like a deep movie but it's because it's because they've never seen a deep movie before right and like and like that's the thing like these are things like especially now like these things should be addressed but they should be addressed in a better fashion absolutely and not just thrown thrown to the wind as a you know like quote-unquote gritty reboot of a comic book movie for sure and watching the director's roundtable with Todd Phillips talking to oh Scorsese yeah. as if they're and he speaks to him as if they're like on the same playing field like I'm a director and I'm a filmmaker and we should be at yeah. this table together and I'm I'm just as respected as you are almost you know it's just like such a yeah, weird it's I like mean, what are you doing here how are you speaking right now this man Scorsese is sitting at the table yeah. go get get up and leave like <laughs> like what yeah. is happening yeah because the movie looks like trash it's not it's not very well done and like the the last the last thing like you know just to go back to like consistency like in my opinion you know like in the trailer they played that uh you know put on a smile that right. you know song from like the 40s that Jimmy Durante sang there should have been that should have been like all through the movie like like if you're going to like again consistency as far as like character sure because, like, Arthur Fleck, like, he's definitely a man out of society, a man out of his own time. So, like, yeah, it makes perfect sense to play that kind of music. But this now, quote-unquote, iconic scene of him walking down the staircase dancing. To, to Gary Glitter. To yeah. Gary Glitter. <laughs> yeah, such a weird choice. Like, I was I was expecting, like, I don't know what I was expecting, but it certainly wasn't... That was a big deal, you know, uh, <coughs> when the film came out, and I read about that that that, that was in there, because people were upset that it was in there, because Gary Glitter is a pedophile and everything, or he had child <laughs> porn or whatever. But, like, it's like, um, but, I mean, that's not, that's obviously not what's offensive about it. It's just a right. weird, it's just sh- such a weird choice. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> no, like the most... You know, you know Todd Phillips shows that shit on purpose. He's like, oh, this would be so punk rock. Can I put the pedophile shit in there? <laughs> yeah. You should have put Gigi Allen in there. Jesus he loves Christ. Gigi Allen. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he did a Gigi Allen doc, so. But, yeah, like, yeah, it should have, it should have been, like, uh... I don't know, young at heart or something. Yeah, like, I, I mean, yeah, I, well, like I mean, it, sh- it should have been some like kind of jazz. That doesn't even get vocal into the standard I, the, from the forties. The issue of the fact that there's just way too much dancing in general in the movie. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it reminds me of a uh, twentieth century women when the trailer for twentieth century women came out a few years ago. 
It was just like it was like white people dancing the movie. It's oh, like yeah. every every shot in the trailer was somebody dancing to like some <laughs> song. You know? I uh, I found that movie to be emotionally effective. Did you? I actually there is a lot of dancing. I didn't. I didn't. I remember not loving it and kind of being disappointed with it. But I, I've been wanting to rewatch it recently. I love uh, obviously Gerwig is great, and I love Billy Crudup. So anyway, um, okay, well. Uh, we we talked a little bit about Uncut Gems a minute ago, and uh, it, the reason um, I watched this next movie is because uh, I listened to their the Safdie Brothers podcast with um, Paul Thomas Anderson. I think it was a it was a A twenty four podcast, I think. Cool. And uh, they talk obviously about Altman because they both they all love Altman, and they mm. talked about California Split specifically. As far as the the sound design, Beautiful. yeah, uh, uh, the sound design in Uncut Gems is extremely like uh, you know it's very like people talking over each other constantly, and they talked about how um, like Paul Thomas Anderson was working with Altman, he was uh, the backup director on Prairie Home Companion because of Altman's age and the oh. insurance purposes, mm. and uh, so he he's you know he talked to him a lot about his uh, process and like the logistics of recording sound and stuff like that on, on the, on those, on this film in particular, California split where there is like a ton of background noise and background chatter during like almost every scene. <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, so I just like, I, I was like, well, I got to check this movie out cause I've never even really heard of it. Um, it, it came out in between, uh, I think, uh, thieves like us and Nashville. And I've seen thieves like us and I downloaded Nashville immediately after I watched this because I loved California split. I thought it was fucking amazing. And, uh, I mean, it's just like, it's just got like so much, it's just good vibes, man. It just made me feel so great. Like watching it. Like I just loved the characters and it was like, it was like, you know, it was like, it was like watching a plotless version of rounders. Oh, it was like just, uh, I think that's fair. Yeah. Rounders has like this, you know, plot mechanism that's driving it forward where it's like, we got to make this money because we're, if we don't, you know, Edward Norton's going to get killed or whatever. And, and the whole, you know, backstory of Matt Damon's character. But this was like, this doesn't have anything so ominous. It's just like about these two guys who like to gamble and party. And, <laughs> and they're just like, and Elliot Gould, it's like seventies, Elliot Gould his his mouth. It's, it's insane. The shit that comes out of his mouth. And it's just like nonstop. <laughs> and he's just so entertaining to watch. And I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a movie with George Siegel in it, to be honest, before this. Uh, I, I watched Just Shoot Me a lot, you know, when I was younger, but that's like my context for him. So seeing a young George Siegel, uh, I mean, he's just great. I mean, I don't know. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I can definitely see the the influence on the Safties. And, but Altman just continues to astound. Every time I watch an Altman film, it's just like, this is amazing. Like, how have I not seen this before? And, it just makes me want to rewatch everything I've seen. But I, I, I mean, it was like I got to rewatch Long Goodbye and Mash because I want to see more Elliot Gould from the seventies, you know. <laughs> but uh, there's apparent there's another movie called. Um, it's not an Altman film, but it came out around the same time, and it's got Gould in it as a police officer. Do you know what I'm talking about, Jr.? I can't remember. Uh, the no, name of it. I don't. It is called. You'll, you'll, my head. you'll know it. I'm pretty sure you've logged it. The long goodbye? Uh, no, 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 no. The long goodbye is not not a police officer, <laughs> right? It, uh, great film, though. Uh, <laughs> I fucking busting. It's called busting. You heard of this movie? Robert Blake and Elliot Gould. You have no, not. I've you have not logged it. it. Never mind. Because they have logged this. No, you have not know. logged it. It says uh, it's about uh, Los Angeles Vice Squad cops. Oh, 
So, and it's like <clears throat> corrupt department or whatever. I don't know. It just looks like I'm just like, it's directed by Peter Hyams, which is scary, oh. but because <laughs> I don't know. Like, Interesting. Well, I'm not a Peter Hyams fan, but I've, I, I, mean, I, I haven't seen Outland, but. Wait. Oh, JR just watched it. Right. Not too long ago. Right. Yeah. I ha- and neither I've, of you guys have seen 2010. No. I, okay. The only movie I've, I've seen, uh, Capricorn One, which I did not like. And I, I mean, I like Time Cop, but it's like. It's not because Peter Himes directed it. Right, think. right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so just uh, California Split, just a great fucking movie with a great ending to like the whole last 20 minutes where they're just at this casino gambling in Reno constantly and just scoring after scoring and just making tons of fucking money. You're just waiting for the other shoe to drop and it never really does. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was, I was just constantly surprised by it. I really enjoyed it. Nice. I have this ranked as my number one Altman film. I absolutely Ooh. adore it. It is great. I don't know about number one. <laughs> I mean, I have it like just a, a hair ahead of uh, McCabe and Miss Miller. Yeah, that's and Long Goodbye. McCabe and Miss Miller is tops for me. That's so far. I mean, I haven't seen you know I haven't seen Shortcuts or uh, Nashville, and I hear they're great. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I re- highly recommend Three Women, Shortcuts, Nashville, Images. Oh, see, I Mash. don't. I didn't like Three Women. No, okay. no. Uh, I mean, I watched it actually in the early in the infancy of this very podcast back when it was the uh, Baton Rouge Film Club podcast oh, right. with just Jordan and me. <laughs> oh, that uh, long ago. Yeah, he wa- okay. we, we wow. watched Persona and Three Women, mm. and uh, I'm not a huge fan of either. I like Persona more a lot more than Three Women, but uh, yeah. But anyway, neither, neither here nor there. I mean. Altman is, a, you know, he's a god of cinema. What are you going to do? The guy. <laughs> I mean, he's just. He's even just, even more so than Deacons. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. If he and Deacons could have teamed up, just think wow. about how great that would have been. All right. JR. Oh, back to me already? Shit. Mm. All right. I will, uh, I will be much more brief for the rest of my movies. Thank God. Um, yeah, I know, right? Oh, it's a fucking windbag. Mm. <laughs> um, I watched uh, the Netflix Oscar nominee for best animated film. I lost my body, which is uh, super interesting. It's uh, much more like interesting and fascinating than it is like actually a compelling good movie. Oh, um, it's this like beautiful hand drawn animated movie about this uh, this guy. I can't pronounce his name. It's like Naufel or Nufel. French who's been like like you you we meet him he's been like violently separated from his hand like his right hand and uh then we all of a sudden get like two narratives one's a flashback narrative of this guy growing up coming of age and you know he's like a fuck up who can't figure out what he can be good at in life and then like falls in love um there are lots of shots focusing on his hand going through life and then we've got this other narrative of this disembodied hand uh, just walking through Paris, trying to find its way back to to the rest of its body, mm. and uh, it's like the disembodied hand is definitely like the selling point of the film. It's like definitely why this was made and why people liked it, but it's uh, not nearly as interesting as the flashbacks of this kid's life, which uh, I thought was weird. Definitely thought the hand would be cooler, and uh, you know, it's like. The hand just kind of goes through Paris and, like, uh, I don't know, has to fight off birds and 
people thinking it's a rat and uh, the, the kid is like, you know, he, he has like a, an interesting life and he's got a clever meet cute and he falls in love and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. It's a, uh, that stuff's pretty good. Just wish the hands journey was as good. It's a, it's a 3.25. Cool. But it is gorgeous. How is like it? Is it? Hand-drawn animation. Oh, it is. It is hand-drawn. <laughs> So, I want to say yes, but I think now I heard I that like it was like dangerous. Yeah, I heard that it was like uh, at least partially done, maybe like done on. I mean, obviously, probably done on tablets or something. But so mm. yeah, and I want, so like I, I'm loath to call anything hand drawn because I I know you can replicate a hand drawn style on a computer, and that's right. If I'm being, you know, that's probably mm. what it is. I mean, there are other movie uh, Klaus was like it's like hand hand drawn but and i think it i think it was actually like done on paper but they also like used like a lot of like digital like filters and manipulation yeah. and stuff for like lighting and things so kind of best of both worlds maybe and There's... i uh, i started that movie late last night mm. but my internet was like every five minutes, it would the Netflix would like stop to reload. I just I just passed out on the couch while Klaus was reloading at some point. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to start that over. Mm. So yeah, they uh, there's no there doesn't seem to be any real information about how it was made. Um, but anyway, I mean you know, it doesn't really matter. Kept. So I had been reading the Silmarillion, which is like the like prequel to Lord of the Rings. So I decided, eh, it's time to rewatch Lord of the Rings. So I rewatched all of them and enjoyed them a lot more than I thought I would cuz like like you know, they came out when I was in high school and I've seen them like a bajillion times, but actually like going back and watching them again, it's like, yeah, these are good performances the uh i think the special effects hold up pretty well um i'm about to turn probably turn a lot of people against me right now but in my opinion tolkien doesn't write narratives he writes histories that just happen to have dialogue and like <laughs> i think that is a hot take <laughs> oh for sure yeah um <laughs> I don't know yeah. how many people are really going to be upset about that. I, I, <laughs> I thought you were about to say, maybe like, Tolkien is not a very good writer. <laughs> I mean, I like he's not horrible, but I, I, I led you into I, that one. All right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I would, I would have said that anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some someone's probably out there. Like, what do you mean? Like the the plot structure, blah 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 blah. And it's like, all right, that's whatever. Not, that's not all there is to it, of course. Yeah. Right. I mean, Kevin, like, I, I think I. Pretty sure I agree with you. Like I think uh, there, I think that very nicely um, speaks to why I cannot love his books. Right. Like, I, I think they're very interesting, but just something I'm, I'm held at a distance, and that's probably why. Yeah, because he is like, marched in the history. Yeah, because I mean, especially like like they're so like the Silmarillion. You know, it's basically like the beginning of the world. And how, like, there's, like, the one god and, like, all of these sort of angelic beings are, like, created from his thought. And then, like... The one what? god? Is this... Is he religious? 
Oh yeah, he was he was he was he was a hardcore. It's a JK. It's a JK. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's J R R. But yeah, anyway, uh, lifelong Catholic. Um, but yeah, and like you know, so through throughout the Silmarillion, like he talks a lot about how, and there was great sorrow. Like there's there's a whole lot of that. Like and there was and there was great beauty in the world, and there was great sorrow. But like you don't really get like how sorrowful or how beautiful mm, lack and, of adjectives yeah <laughs> very much so like like yeah you don't like it you know as descriptive as he can be about things it's like he focuses like so much more on names than than just about anything else and he's kind of like you know wrapping wrapping up a you know history lesson throughout most of it and so like Going back and watching the Lord of the Rings movies, it's like, okay, Gesundheit. Like, you actually, like, Sorry. get to, like, get into the emotions of the characters and, like, kind of feel what they're feeling and, like, hearing, like, the combination of, like, the music and the poetry that's, like, in Lord of the Rings, you know, the book. But, like, actually, like, hearing it spoken aloud and, like, having emotional depth given to it by the actors makes, you know, really just brings it to life for pretty much the entire thing. I mean, there's, there's some things where it's like, eh, that was, that was okay. Or like, that was, that was just all right. Like some of the, did you watch the theatrical cuts or the extended extended? Okay. Yeah. Um, cause you know, like I'm, I'm here. Why not? You might, yeah, might as well, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Um, how do you feel about the Amazon series? Is this something that interests you? I think it like having read the Silmarillion, I understand from what I understand, like it's supposed the series is supposed to cover a lot of what's in there. So I think it could be very good. And like, you know, the adaptations of these works bring so much more out than what's than just what's on the page. So I think it'll be good. All right. Yeah, and uh, let's see. So, Fellowship, I thought, was the best out of the three. but So, that one was a 4.25, but Two Towers and Return of the King, I, I think they're still four stars. I, well, I haven't seen... Uh, I've seen all That's three good. of them. I saw the last one in the theater, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember hating it. But I, uh, <laughs> but I wasn't a big fan of any of them. But I, I re-watched the first one <coughs> and did not like it either uh in the last five or ten years and then but i always remember two towers being the most enjoyable but Mm. i don't know i don't really know why that's the only one i went to see multiple times in the theater oh and i don't really remember why there's like a lot of war stuff in it right and there's a lot of battling in it i think that's probably yeah like like most of it most of it is uh like uh the battle of helms deep where like you know that's probably why i liked it more yeah yeah just a lot of action yeah but um all right. Well, uh, and there's the, it's such a funny scene where like, like Christopher Lee is like Saruman. He's like mix. He's like mixing up these things and like I don't understand. Like what's gonna bring like Brad Dorf as like another one of the bad guys. I don't understand what's gonna bring down the wall. And he's walks walks in with his candle, and like Christopher Lee is pouring this powder, and he stops him from bringing the candle any further. He's like whoa 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 back up. Like so the powder is gunpowder. Yeah, I don't didn't remember Brad Dourif being in it. So that's yeah, uh, he's uh, Wormtongue. 
It's a little bit of a uh, little bit of a plus. Yeah. Um, and good old <laughs> Carl Urban. Like this is what put him on uh, the map. Carl Urban. Yeah. Yeah. Well, until he does Dread Two, he's dead to me. <laughs> um, I uh, I watched uh, Jr.'s number one movie of the last decade, The Illusionist, um, which is an animated feature. From, be, be gentle. Be gentle. <laughs> from uh, this French bozo, Sylvain Chaumet. <laughs> <laughs> oh just my just, God. just right. kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <sighs> um, and it's about an illusionist from France who uh, travels to Scotland because nobody wants to watch his boring magic act. And uh, I guess it's based on an unproduced uh, Jacques Tati script. Which is interesting because I've it's it's weird that I watch this because I've never seen any Jacques Tati films, <laughs> so I should probably watch those, you know, before mm-hmm. I watch this. But um, I enjoyed this movie, and I think the animation is like stunningly good. Mm. Like, have you seen this? No, yeah. I I want to. The where, animation. Where did, is where did you insane. watch? It? Oh, I downloaded it illegally. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Torrance, baby. <laughs> no, I, uh, Why do I even ask? I know, right? I, everything. I would, I, watch. I would be surprised if they don't have. <laughs> At least a DVD copy oh, in the they, library. They definitely do. I'm mm. sure they do. But, right. um, yeah, I, the animation is incredible. I mean, absolutely amazing. And, uh, I mean, the story is fun, and it's almost dialogueless, which is interesting. And I was waiting for somebody to talk for, like, the first 20 minutes, and then I realized, oh, this is like a, you know, it's like a set pieces after set piece after set piece. So mm. it's not it's not about dialogue. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I had a good time with it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not on Jr.'s level of uh, adoration yet, but I certainly enjoyed it, and I would certainly watch it again. It is a beautiful 77 minute running time, so you gotta love that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you gotta love it. Uh, yeah. So, and I was looking actually, I was looking at the director and uh, gonna check out uh, the Triplets of Belleville. I downloaded that, and then I can't mm. believe he hasn't directed another feature since this movie. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's insane. That- Mm. He's done some. Uh, he's done some uh, shorts, and he did a. Apparently, he did a uh, live action movie, which is like, who could care, right? I mean, who's going to watch that shit? <laughs> right. But anyway, that was in 2013, so mm. even that's been a while ago. Yeah, I also love the triplets of Belleville. I'm mm. looking forward to it for sure. Anyway, all right. So I uh, finally caught up with Long Day's Journey into Night. Which is a, um, yeah, I guess you know, like in indie cinema, it was a moderately well-known Chinese movie that came out last year, mm. um, and it's about a man who, you know, returns to his hometown trying to find a girl, uh, probably an old lover. Um, it's weird that I can only say probably, uh, but you know, that's uh, that's what I got for a plot synopsis. It's uh, about two hours and 15 minutes long. And the, uh, the big deal here is it's, uh, it has a long, it's got a long shot. The film ends with a 51 minute shot filmed in 3d. The whole film is not in 3d. Just, uh, just the one shot. Does it have words on the screen to tell you to put your glasses on at this time? Yeah, there's a, uh, like, you know, 70 minutes in, which I think is what's going on over there. It sounds like my house <laughs> um, cat. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, so 10 minutes before the shot starts, you actually get the title card of the movie. Wow. Um, you know, and it's like, 
so yeah, just this one take in 3D, and you might be asking yourself why? Why would he do that? And uh, you know, I'm not here to provide answers. I cannot <laughs> provide any answers for mm. this movie. He was like, everybody's doing these one take movies. Fuck that well, shit. Yeah, <laughs> so, give me a break. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm getting to that. But, like the, the first 70 minutes of the film are just like they're exposition. They function as exposition. But as exposition, these minutes totally fail. Um, I watched the first half of the movie twice because my computer froze the first time. And when I started it over, uh, like the file wouldn't let me fast forward. Uh, and I, so I've seen like this exposition <laughs> section twice. I still have no idea what is going on. Um, and I, I think it's meant to be like elliptical and, um, and vague as to what is really happening. Um, and, you know, like this, this director, uh, B or by B.I. Gone, is trying to make the, the film look really good. And, you know, he succeeds doing that. It looks great. It looks amazing. But then you get to this 51-minute shot. And, uh, you know, I will say, like, if you're going to do this kind of thing, like, great. Just fucking do it. Don't hide your cuts like, uh, like Sam Mendes. Don't pretend you're doing one shot when you're not. Or uh, um, Inaritu. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And the uh or Hitchcock. <laughs> you're talking shit about he, Hitchcock he did now. Did not have <laughs> did not have the film reels to do one whole movie. Should have invented it. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Sorry. Uh it, the most interesting thing about this shot at, at, after, you know, I've seen the whole thing is kind of like uh how you know, large like like stretches of it are are kind of you know, what you think of as boring, like they are, it, it's a shot that is kind of like static on two people for large stretches, having a conversation. Uh, there are parts of it that like do that kind of virtuoso thing you'd expect. where like, we're on this like weird, uh, like tightrope wire that this guy is kind of like using as transportation down a mountain and the camera follows him on that. And like, that looks really cool. Um, and I guess that kind of gives us like the sense of descent into hell or like he's starting this odyssey. That's like the beginning of the shot or at least your hometown hell. It's not really a hell escape. Um, but you know, at the end, like I don't, if I had seen this when I was 21, it would have been the best shit I'd ever seen. Like this would have changed my life. I'd have been like, you can do this. <laughs> I would have given it a six out of five. Um, Pre and, before Letterbox existed, <laughs> like every time someone would ask me about it, I'd be like, "No, I have no idea what the fuck is going on." But it's the best looking film ever made. Like, I, I recognize that you know, years ago, this this is the kind of thing that used to really you know get my used to really get my jollies from shit like this. Sure. Um, but you know, as it stands now, it's it's more like a three three and a half. Mm. We all grow up. It's really know. more like three point two five. Yeah. Think your your opinions change, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I used to love American Beauty, you know. <laughs> I honestly don't know how I feel about it though. Yeah, I mean, I like back when I was like fifteen, like Pulp Fiction was the end all be all of like existence. Or like, yeah, it's like it's like when you you know when you're yeah. like I was like I was like seventeen or eighteen and I saw. No, probably younger than that. Even sixteen, seventeen when I saw Requiem for a Dream for the first time. You know, you're just like, holy shit. 
this is pure cinema. <laughs> you know, like, oh my. <laughs> when was the last time? When was the last time you guys watched that? I watched that not too long ago, actually, in the last uh, two years or so. I think I talked about it on the mm. podcast, and it did. Uh, there is a you know that film schooly pretentiousness about it. You know that you can't really get away from, but mm. um, it's still got its it's got its positives, I guess. Um, Ellen okay. Burstyn is a genius, so I haven't seen it in like probably ten years. If if not more, I do want to say that like long days journey into night. Like well, while you could describe it as like the like obviously trying to be virtuoso filmmaking and like maybe there's like a film school element to it. Like it does not look or feel like any movie that I've seen before. This is not just like a run of the mill drama that's overdoing the camera work. I mean, it, it is genuinely weird and. It is, I want to call it like very Chinese. It is very foreign. You know, this doesn't, this doesn't feel like something anyone in America would ever think to make, mm. but cool. It has that going for it. I remember it getting a lot of praise early on in the year and uh, thinking that, you know, I probably needed to watch it. I just never got around to it. Anyway. All right. I'm done. So to, to continue my jaunt through Middle Earth, uh, <laughs> I went back and rewatched the Hobbit movies, and I remember them like seeing them in the theater and thinking, "Well, these aren't these aren't great," um, and they're not. Uh, the first one, the first one was a three. The second one, oh god. Like I, I, I said it in uh, in my letterbox review, like fucking unnecessary. I mean. Not not only is the movie like over three hours, which it has no need to be. Um, I mean, there doesn't need to be three movies, but that's that's another point. Uh, Stephen Fry eating, I forget what it was, ram testicles. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even you know, like why? Like humor, I mean, humor. <laughs> I mean, is like, that a comic beat? I've never seen the second ones. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it's supposed to be funny, you know, because they're served up right. to him by some creepy-looking guy with a unibrow. Mm. Um, but yeah, like the the whole like like fascist dictatorship that they've got going on in Lake Town. I don't remember that in the book. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, they ch- they added shit for sure, right? Didn't, yeah, they like did. Orlando Bloom is in these movies, isn't he? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and. Legolas is not in um right. Legolas is not in the uh the Hobbit. In the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, I don't know. Last time I read that was like 2012, so he might be. Well, I, re- I think I I read or heard podcasts where they said specifically he wasn't and that was like an addition because of yeah, the yeah, popularity yeah. of the character. Yeah, and um like they they invented an elf uh out of nowhere, which, you know, that's fine. Like, yeah, I don't really care. That doesn't bother me. Yeah, I mean, like... Th- Whatever you know, helps the narrative along. I mean, if, as long as it's the purposeful, you know? It's like, I don't really right, care right, about right. The, the novel. It was like, the novel is the novel, right? So it's like... Yeah, the novel is the novel, and it'll always be the novel. Exactly. Nothing like, changes, so... Yeah, like, you know, like, people people expect me because, you know, I work in a library to be, to be like, always, you know, well, the book is better, the book is better. It's like... Not always. No, definitely not. That, yeah. That's spoken from a po- that, from a point of view of, uh, you know, 
the most popular books you can think of being turned into movies and that's all we know about but it's like you think about it it's like probably like 75 percent of movies are based on books right and it's like it's not possible that all those books are better than the movie i mean watch drive and then go read drive and tell me drive is a better book than film i mean yeah i mean even the author of drive said that (laughs) said that nick said that uh refin made a great movie that was better than his book exactly so and i'm pretty sure like philip k dick said that about blade runner and I don't. Like, I, mean, I mean, I don't think he saw like the finished product of Blade Runner, but he definitely said like, "Wow, this looks. Ex- this is exactly what I was. What I was thinking." Yeah. Um. But yeah, like, and yeah, that's that's neither a, here nor yeah. there. But yeah. Um. So so much in these movies is needless, and like, like one like the thing that I can really say about Lord of the Rings is like Peter Jackson like become you know like he really gets into that world. And he tries to tell those stories with, like, real reverence for the material. Whereas, like, with The Hobbit, first of all, you've got fan service to The Hobbit book. You've got fan service to the Lord of the Rings movies. And you also have, like, the return of, like, the kind of nasty Peter Jackson. Like, the the guy who made, like... Um, Dead Alive. Know, Dead Alive and, like, the Frighteners and, like, stuff. Meet the you know, Feebles. Yeah, Meet the Feebles. And, you know... <laughs> And like, like so much of the CGI in like the movies that were made like five, six years later, looks so much worse hmm. than like. There's so much in the Hobbit movies that look worse than Lord of the Rings. Well, he used a lot more CG in those yeah. films than in Lord of the Rings. He used a lot of practical yeah, yeah, effects yeah. in Lord of the Rings. So. Yeah, and it's and it shows. Um, it's the smart way to go about it. It's what makes those films. Yeah. Um. More timeless, I guess, for for a lot of people, you know. Yeah, and you know, like I could sound like a total total snob, and you know, like all practical effects, like CGI certainly has its place, but like you know, but it still has to be done well. Yeah, and I think like like I was reading like something on Wikipedia about how like so much of it was shot for like 3D or like some other kind of format. And, like, when you don't see it in those formats, like, it's, you know, the stuff is, like, glaringly obvious. But, yeah. And I also rewatched the animated Hobbit, which, you know, nice 77 minutes, 80 minutes. Bakshi? Yeah. No, actually, he did... Um, he, didn't he do it? No, well, no, he did Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he did Lord oh, of the Rings. Oh, yeah, who did Hobbit, then? Uh, Rankin, Rankin Bass. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I would, I would say they do a good job. And like I said, in my letterbox review of, uh, Desolation of Smaug, like, like the first one has like the first Hobbit live action one has like a couple of the songs, but they don't get into them anymore in the second and third. And like, I think that's a real, that's like, there are so many songs in the Hobbit and they are enjoyable. They're one of the things that makes the Hobbit enjoyable. So, like, the fact that they don't have them, it's, like, a really, like, glaring omission in my eyes. Because, like, you you know, you hear them all throughout uh, the animated one, and it makes and it makes things so much more enjoyable. One of my favorite parts of the... I've only seen the first Hobbit, and I, I actually liked it more than I liked all the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, but... I mean, I didn't like love it. I just thought it was like this is more enjoyable. And I mean, I have specific problems with Lord of the Rings. Mainly, the casting is a problem for me. Uh, I don't like. I feel like they should have went with an unknown cast. 
Um, yeah, because it distracts me that Elijah Wood is playing the lead character. It distracts me that Viggo Mortensen is because I just I know these actors and I'm just like that's not and I don't they don't disappear into their roles enough for me. Whereas in the the Hobbit, it's like it's was Martin Freeman and it's like yeah, I don't know yeah, this yeah. guy from Adam pretty much. Yeah. So uh, and the rest of them are like in so much fucking makeup that it's like you would know who they are anyway. Yeah, like one of one of the dwarves, uh, Bofer, I think. Yeah, Bofer is played by uh, James Nesbitt, who, like, I had seen in a, like, he was in Jekyll, and he's in, like, a bunch of uh, British mm-hmm. TV. Um, But, yeah, like, the rest of them. And then, like, I watched I watched a behind-the-scenes feature, like, not this time, but, like, like further back, where, like, they were talking about how, like, a couple, couple of them, like, Aiden Turner in particular, like, they had him in similar makeup to the rest of the dwarves, but then they like scaled it back so much. And it's like, okay, got okay. Y'all like we get that. He's like easily the most attractive of these actors, but like, that's kind of not what this is about. Well, like if you, for ri- the studio, that's exactly what it's about. Yeah, you're right. Cause I mean, they got to put yeah. those asses in the seats. But anyway, uh, yeah, what I was yeah, going to yeah. say is that that song in the in the beginning of the film is my favorite part of the whole movie. Is oh, yeah. The Misty Mountain song or whatever. Yeah, it yeah. It's incredible. I was like that. The, it really, like, I was like, I got chills when I was watching it in theater. I was like, this is awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> I want the movie to be like this. But, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and I, like I say, I enjoyed it. It was a fun, like, adventure movie. But yeah. I just never got around to seeing the other two. Right. And, like, um, spe- and. I plan on rewatching the Bakshi version and there's like a like for some reason he had a falling out with the uh the studio mm-hmm. so he didn't end up making Return of the King and that was made by Rankin Bass. I haven't seen that one and I plan to and I'm going to rewatch the the Bakshi Lord of the Rings. But I re- I was reading that like apparently John Borman had his hands on uh Lord of the Rings and like that would have been something. Yeah, and I think he actually said that like everything that he like kind of planned for Lord of the Rings eventually kind of ended up being in Excalibur. That makes sense. So like, like where's that movie? One of the greatest films of all time. Um, yeah, yeah, Excalibur so, is great. Yeah, Excalibur just rules. Uh, all right. Well, uh, being that Jr. has abandoned us, I will. Uh, I'll talk about just temporarily. He'll be back, folks. I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk briefly about, I watched the uh, David Lynch short film dropped on Netflix this week called oh. uh, What Did Jack Do, mm. which is uh, actually from like 2017. It played at the festival, I think, but uh, oh. it hasn't gotten released ever until now. Mm. And uh, it's really, uh, you know, it's, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it as far as it goes. It's hard to talk about these things in terms of whether it's good or bad. I mean, it's, it's a film about, it's got David Lynch as the star of it and he interrogates a monkey Mm. and uh, there's a waitress who comes in and serves them coffee and (laughs) like this is what the movie is and uh, the the monkey they have the you know the Conan O'Brien thing where he interviews like Schwarzenegger and they'll have like somebody's lips like superimposed on Schwarzenegger they do that with the monkey and I'm pretty sure Lynch is doing the monkey's voice oh and uh, but it's like um, manipulated Mm. and uh, yeah it's just your typical uh, you know esoteric very strange but interesting seems like there's something there you know right but uh, so I watched that. It's it's fine. Check it out. It's short. And then uh, I watched uh, two true crime series on uh, Netflix: The Confession Killer, which is about Henry Lee Lucas, which is 
overly long and not terribly interesting, mainly because Henry Lee Lucas didn't really do anything. Like he just confessed to a bunch of shit that he didn't do. And so it's like, oh. there's not much to do with that. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of boring, but, um, <laughs> and then there's like, there's no mystery. You know what I mean? Right. And then, uh, I watched a much, the, the vastly superior, the killer inside the mind of Aaron Hernandez, which is, uh, only a uh, three parts. And, uh, so therefore much shorter and about Aaron Hernandez, which, I, I had read his Wikipedia page a while ago, I guess after he killed himself, and uh, very interesting, you know, his whole uh, situation and w- the motives behind what he did and um, his kind of fall from grace, and uh, this film has a lot of really interesting uh, kind of insight. I mean, like, you could hear his phone calls with his do you know who Aaron Fernandez is? I have no idea who this person this is. This is a he was a, a football player. Tight end yeah. for the Patriots and he oh. p- killed some people <laughs> with a gun. He uh, he shot he's on con- the field like last no, boy no, scout? No, no, no. no. Yes. He oh. he shot his uh his girlfriend's sister's boyfriend. Oh. Which was going to be his future brother-in-law. He shot him to death and he was convicted of it. And then mm-hmm. he was tried for murdering two more people who were found not guilty. But it's kind of debatable whether or not he actually did it. Oh, okay. And he was going to spend the rest of his life in prison, but he ended up hanging himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's, I don't know, it's like a really, it's depressing as fuck because you're watching. And it's like he like literally gets a $40 million contract and then kills this guy and goes to prison. It's like, what are you doing with your life guy? Yeah. But then you realize the extenuating circumstances of he's, he's essentially, he's mentally ill and he's, uh, Mm. most likely they don't come down on one side or the other, but it seems very likely that he was a closeted homosexual and, um, that that was something that really wore on him his whole life. And, uh, his father was at least emotionally abusive and, uh, Mm. So you know, not not to give him any excuses, he just did some horrible, horrible shit. But uh, yeah, just really, really interesting documentary. Uh, really well done. Reminded me a lot of uh, OJ Made in America, mm. but obviously much shorter. So yeah, check it out. Killer Inside: The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. A lot of a uh, lot of interesting stuff there. Did they say anything about like uh, like brain trauma? They talk about uh, C- CT. Yeah. CTS? Yeah, CTE. CTE, yeah. Yeah, yeah, They yeah. talk about CTE quite a bit uh, okay. towards the end of it. Um, yeah, and that, that whether or not that played a, a role. And then there's people in the documentary saying that's bullshit because, you know, I played football every day of my life and I never wanted to kill anybody. And But it's like, obviously, different people are different, you know? <laughs> like, they show his... They actually show his actual brain in yeah. the film. Uh, like they, he they he donated his... Or his family donated his brain to science to study... Uh, what is it again? CTE? <laughs> CTE. I was about to say yeah. DTE. I was like, that's direct textual evidence. Uh, <laughs> yeah, CTE. And uh, they showed like how there's like a there's like a gap in your uh, in the front of your brain. If you what part it's called, like the mm. temporal lobe or some shit. And they were like, that gap's supposed to be really, really small until you're like in your 60s. And then it starts getting wider. But his was like already like blown out and super wide. Wow. So they were like, yeah. that's a huge indication that uh, he wouldn't have the kind of emotional responses that a normal person would have and that right. he, like sociopathic essentially. Yeah. Like that's uh, like, yeah, probably going to turn a lot of people against me on this, but like, <laughs> like, like I don't know what, what is in store for my, my girlfriend's kids, but I, in, I would highly encourage her to not let them play football. Because like even even in helmets like oh no I it's so agree. fucking dangerous yeah I mean I think the science is pretty obvious that this I mean I was yeah like, you don't want you're, it's like giving your children 
me head injuries every week. Why would you do it? I don't understand. Yeah, like like I I understand I understand, you know, like it's a game that a lot of people love and blah 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 blah, you know, poetry of motion, et cetera, et cetera. But like Whatever. like when you look Yeah, I mean <laughs> well like like this is the thing like this is one of the things that like uh like I was reading about uh Ernest Hemingway. Uh-huh. Like like there were, like you know, he killed himself sure. and like there was um and like there was kind of a lot of questions back then about why he would have done it, et cetera, et cetera. And like the bloated book, alcoholic. Well, not only not only not only like big alcohol problem, but like we're also talking about a guy like um he had like like he was in like two plane crashes within like within like 24 hours of each other. Oh, wow. And one and in one of the plane crashes he actually like headbutted the door to get out of the crashed plane. So like there is no doubt in my mind that he had like severe brain trauma that obviously only got worse as he got older and you know we're talking like 50s and 60s where like they don't understand any of this. Like they still don't understand a huge amount about it but like you know it's yeah. even worse. And they so, still, I, I think they can't um, confirm that you have CTE until you're dead. you're dead, and they look at your brain, right? Because yeah, they so talk- it's like it's one of those things where like they don't really know like what like how damaged your brain is until you're dead. They talked about yeah. uh, a couple of other athletes, uh, also football players, who who had also suicided and like right. Junior Seau. Right. They talked about him specifically. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, like. Um. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Chris Benoit, the wrestler who like killed his family and then mm-hmm. killed himself, like I'm sure he had CTE. Well, and the steroids they say are a big part of that, right? Though I mean, that can only make it worse. He definitely was on roids. He was pumped yeah. up, nasty looking. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> short fucking arms. Yeah, I used to watch Chris Benoit, man, when I was in like fourth yeah, grade. Yeah, he was my yeah. hero. Flying headbutt. He's. Yeah. I mean, that was his signature move. The flying headbutt yeah, exactly. was his signature move. <laughs> exactly. Of course, and he had CT. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like, take care of your brain. I know, right? Yeah. You only get one. It doesn't regenerate. Exactly. It doesn't heal. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're fucked. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, uh, yes. Killer Inside. Check it out. Cool. He is, uh, he is doing anything for the big game this weekend. <laughs> I'm hoping they drop a do- lots of football. I hope they drop a Dune teaser. During it, that would be nice. <laughs> I know, actually, I know they won't because yeah, it would have been announced work. already, probably. Right, right. And that's totally like, I mean, that's totally not the audience. <laughs> no, but it's like it's. I mean, I'm sure they're going to try to push it as a blockbuster, like a Star Wars, yeah, you're right, you know, you're kind right. of thing. Even yeah, because we're not getting any more of those <laughs> well, not for a while. Yeah, not, not CTE is uh, is bad, and football causes awful injuries. I'll be watching football this weekend. <laughs> and grilling some chicken wings. Now let me ask you this: Not well, to, I still watch wrestling. Not so. to get into this <laughs> shit because I don't give a fuck who wins. But uh, I, if I'm not, I'm also not going to be watching the Super oh. Bowl. But I hope the Chiefs win. Oh, what? Who are you rooting for? Jr. Uh, you know, I mean, as the as the resident podcast football fan, I don't really have a rooting interest. I think I'd uh, like narrative wise. I think I'd rather. You know, um, long-lasting coach Andy Reid, like, finally get his Super Bowl. Mm. You know, he's been important to the game of football. Would love to love to see him win. I'm sorry. Whose coach is that? 
uh, Kansas City. Kansas oh, okay, good. Yeah, Kansas City has they haven't won in like fifty years, as I understand yeah. it. So it's been a while. And the and the Forty Niners, uh, right? And the Forty Niners beat the Saints this year, so I'm still mad at them. So they should Ooh, not win. There you go. I just thought the only reason I'm rooting for the Chiefs is because uh, <laughs> is because uh, Richard from. Uh, the Howard Stern show is a Chiefs fan and he's been crying about it constantly on the Howard Stern show. <laughs> and I, I really want to see the Chiefs win just to make him happy. Cool. I like Richard. Anyway. To they you, got, a, got a shot. Mm. They got to the Super Bowl, so they got a shot. I tried to bet I don't one think of my you're supposed to say Super Bowl in public. Really? Why not? I think it's, I think it's heavily, just like heavily owned, copyrighted. <laughs> I think the NFL only wants people connected with the NFL saying those words together. They're very, uh, man, wow. they are some touchy assholes, aren't they? Like I was thinking about it the other day. They were, I was uh, listening to a podcast about um, Oliver Stone's film, Any Given Sunday. Oh. And, you know, he wasn't allowed to use the teams. So he had to such, make up teams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like uh, the movie. Or were they like the, uh, the sh- Miami dorsal fins or something? No, I think it was the, uh, yeah, like the sharks and the, uh, knights or something like that. Mm. But it's like, if like, think about how much better the movie automatically would be if you were allowed to use the actual teams. I mean, just like, just immediately yeah, people, you're in the realism, you know, people fucking love that movie. Like you should like, I haven't seen it since the theater. I don't know. The NFL. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it, Mm. but uh, (laughs) anyway. Yeah, I I haven't seen that since I saw I saw it in the theater with my parents, and that's that's (laughs) that's that's uh, that's the last time I saw. I own it. I haven't watched it yet. I rewatched it yet. Uh, I like Oliver Stone a lot. I feel like I might enjoy it, but yeah, I think that was probably like when I was really on. Like I thought, um, Oliver Stone was like the greatest. Like yeah. Well, like, he was like, still—he still had a pretty good track record at the time. He hadn't really yeah, done a yeah, lot yeah. of shit yet, you know. So yeah, because I think uh, yeah, like that was the newest one that had come out, and like I was watching Platoon like obsessively. Right. Um, another another movie that was like you know, well, this is it. Like movies don't get any better, right? Um, you know, thank God he saved his career with Savages. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> no Snowden, man. Come Ooh. on. <laughs> I never, I haven't seen either of those. Good for you. Please avoid it. <laughs> the worst movie ever made. Go ahead. Your next film. All right. Um, I watched uh, Anne Hathaway's career drip away in dark rock waters. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. It's she, she's she's in the film as Mark Ruffalo's wife. She's barely in it. It's not even a real part. Uh, I just want to make an Anne Hathaway joke. Um, Mark Ruffalo is a corporate defense lawyer whose conscience forces him to take on DuPont when he realizes they've been knowingly poisoning water in certain small communities. Uh, specifically, he defends someone in West Virginia. Um, but turns out it's going on wherever DuPont is. And this is like, uh, this gives us like a really peak sad sack Mark Ruffalo. Um, <laughs> In general, I think his performance as this attorney is pretty good, but there are, I could probably get on, I could probably find gifts of it online, but like there are some scenes where he just has this like, um, this, I don't I want to call it like a hyperbolic frown, <laughs> like where his like bottom lip puffs out. It's just, <laughs> it's so fucking weird. Like, cause it's, it's just like Mark Ruffalo's trying a lot with his face 
in an otherwise pretty understated and good performance. Mm. Um, Doesn't that feel like that's Ruffalo's thing now, though? I mean, he seems like he he picks these weird ticks to do, and they like kind of take over the entire performance. Like in Spotlight, he had that weird like like he was OCD or something. Like he kept like blinking really hard and doing all this weird shit. Yeah, you're right. And then in uh, in uh, speaking of Dupont in uh, Foxcatcher, he was. Uh, like he had that hulking walk thing that he did where it's like you could say he just saw footage of the guy walking like that. He's like, I got to walk like that every fucking scene, you know? Mm. It's like, that's his thing. I don't know. I, I think you might be right. That makes me kind of sad because I, I do like Ruffalo. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Me too. But, you know, this is, I mean, this is a lot like the Spotlight character, but he is the, you know, he's the focus of the film. He's in almost every scene. Um, and it's like the Spotlight guy with a little bit less fire. You know, he's definitely a little bit more depressed than the spotlight guy is. Um, but yeah, like the the story of this is like Ruffalo fights Dupont for twenty years, and uh, you know, by and large, it's the big capitalist machine beats the little guy. You know, this is a it's kind of like by the numbers legal docudrama that like almost like cannot be great. Like it, there's just. I, I I'm trying to imagine a scenario where this film could be a great film, and I change I can't the lead think of to uh, change the lead to Julia Roberts. Done, Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, right. calling uh, John Travolta yeah. civil action. Civil action. There's a lot. This movie's been made quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was just. I, was just I, I don't think I've seen a civil thing. action, and I don't think I call Aaron Brockovich great. I would. I'm um, just kidding. <laughs> you know, uh, solid performances from from Ruffalo and Tim Robbins and uh, Bill Pullman's got a few few good scenes in it. Um, it's like the you know the payoff they don't like over dramatize it or anything. It's still be rooted in real life and and thus not you know satisfying in any conventional narrative sense. And uh, you know, as we were talking off uh, off mic about like it's directed by fucking Todd Haynes. A weirdo director of like things like Safe and I'm Not There and Carol and Velvet Goldmine, like you know, not that Carol's a weird movie. Yeah, it's I guess uh, I think I agree. Like you're like that's a weird thing. Like Todd Haynes is not a weird director. He's only he he used to be. It's like uh, it's like he's gone. He's gotten more and more conventional, right? I mean, I yeah yeah. Carol is not a strange film at all. Like there's nothing. I don't want to call it like a conventional Hollywood film. But yeah, it's not strange. I think I'm not there is a pretty like that's experimental. Experimental, I mean, yeah. yeah. I think uh, Safe and Velvet Goldmine sure. are pretty wild. Absolutely. Um, and I know I'm missing a big one with Julianne Moore that I can't think of right now. Oh, uh, uh, which is closer to Carol? Did he do like like Far, Far from, from Heaven? Heaven? Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't see his uh his version of Wonderstruck, which is an adaptation of a. Of a kid's book from the same author as the guy, the guy that wrote Hugo. Right. Mm. Uh, I didn't hear great things about that, and I didn't love the uh, the kids' novel, so I didn't watch it. But uh, but dark, even even like Carol and Far From Heaven, they're like rooted in this like '50s style. Like it, it's very colorful. Um, they're pretty showy with their style. Where Dark Waters. Like it does have a very specific like color palette, and that color palette's mostly gray. Uh, this otherwise is is like free from 
any real personality that I'd expect in a Todd Haynes movie. And that doesn't make it bad so much as it just makes me wonder why Todd Haynes did this movie. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird choice for him for sure. He also did Mildred Pierce, which I forgot, which is really good. The HBO oh, wow. um, miniseries. I never, saw, I never saw that. It's That's... actually really, really solid. Kate Winslet and uh, Guy Pierce are terrific in it. I believe it. I yeah. <clears throat> I would, I would like to see that because I just read the book not too long ago. I, it might even be on Prime at this point. It's pretty old. It's like oh. nine years ago. Mm-hmm. He's apparently got a uh, Lou Reed Velvet Underground biopic coming out. Really? So uh, I'd watch well, that. <laughs> but uh, that anyway. sounds. That's what I mean. If, that's like Apa's Alley, right? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I was gonna say like it, it, form. You know, like Velvet Goldmine is like a, a fake biopic about right. David Bowie, basically. Right. Um, so yeah, that does sound more up, up the alley of like quality I'd expect from him. Mm. Uh, this is not bad, and I was I was actually like glued to my computer screen for large parts of this. I I give it a three and a half. I it's like it's the kind of thing where I don't have a ton of good things to say, but it it is compelling. Cool. Mm. Might check it out at some point. We have nothing else to do. Your cat is your cat is angry. Dude, I know this cat is just yeah. like nonstop. Yeah, like yeah, she is very bratty. <laughs> I've been trying to pet her, but like it doesn't seem to stop. She wants yeah, to get I into mean, that room right there, but I yeah. guess she can't let her in there. But yeah. she just wants more and yeah. more. Yeah. I need more space. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't want her to puke on the carpets. Oh, so. totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. All right, Kevin. Um, this is my last one. So I rewatched the documentary Tales from the Script. Because so I had read um, Thomas Lennon, one of the creators from Reno Nine One One. He's got a YA novel out. Co-writer of the uh, Smithsonian movie, whatever it is, the Ben Stiller movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think he's written all three of them. Night at the a, Museum. Yeah, with yeah. a Robert Ben Garant. Right. Who, like, you know, his Night at the Museum. Is that yeah. what they're called? Yeah, yeah Night yeah. at the Museum. Yeah. yeah. Um. <clears throat> so, like. <laughs> So, yeah, so I had been watching a lot of, like, uh, interviews with him because I really enjoyed the book. And, like, he he is one of these guys who, like, not only has he, like, acted in a huge amount of stuff, but he's also, like, very heavily involved in script writing. And so, like, he's got a lot of interesting stories about, like, like Hollywood and, like, uh, one, of the fu- one of the funniest ones is, like, him being offered the role in the of the doctor in dark knight rises and like how like somebody hand delivered his lines on like red paper so they couldn't be xeroxed um but yeah so that got me into thinking about screenwriters and i was like oh yeah i saw that uh, documentary not you know like years ago let me and turns out it's on canopy so like most of the people I mean, there are a couple of names. Isn't Schrader in it? Yeah, they they yeah. interview uh, like Schrader, John Carpenter, uh, William Goldman. Um, These are good screenwriters. Yeah, Allison Anders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like uh, Shane Black. Oh, he's he's good. Yeah, Last Boy Scout. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Peter Himes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah, and I think oh, and uh, Ron Ron Shusett, the one of the co-writers on uh, Alien, right. Anyway, 
the so there are a lot of like interesting stories here and there, but like the it looks the it looks terrible. Sure, it's like shot um, on video or something. <laughs> no, it, it looks like it was shot on digital, but like early digital. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, um, I'm sure, it looks like shit. Yeah, it, it very much looks like shit, and like the the structure of it is pretty terrible. They probably like, had like zero budget to put this thing together. Like, yeah, who, who yeah. wants this movie to be made? Exactly. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, let's make a documentary about screen raiders. Yeah. Yeah, and and let's spend like 105 minutes talking about how nobody cares about the screenwriter, right? Which yeah. is, you know, from what I understand, is, is fairly seems, true. Seems seems accurate. Yeah, but yeah, so it's it's worth watching if if only to like hear like some of these people's stories about how like like the guy who wrote the script for Ghost, the Demi Moore and Patrick mm-hmm. Swayze movie, like he has a a. Like he also wrote the script for Deep Impact, and like he talks, he talks about having lunch with this Hollywood executive and how like he was telling him about Deep Impact and like as he was writing it, and then like that guy went on and made uh, Armageddon. <laughs> so, oh, gotta be careful. Yeah, you know, little like, little things here and there, and uh, yeah, and like like loose lips sink ships. Exactly, and. uh What's in like, my queue on uh, Canopy? Oh, I added cool. it to the uh, a while yeah. ago. I just haven't watched it yet. Yeah, and if you have Canopy, I would also like. I mean, I don't know. You might you might have already watched it, but uh, the personal journey through American films. With I Scorsese. added that as well. I've not watched. I it really yet. enjoyed that. I added uh, that, and I added the uh, Godard uh, Histoire du Cinema, which I I understand mm. is just like a collage of <laughs> images from cinema, but I still want to watch it. I love I love those. Yeah, I think they're. They're really fun to watch. All right. Uh, I watched, uh, finally got around to my Scientology movie, which is a Louis Theroux documentary about Scientology from 2015. And, uh, you know, I I watched Going Clear, which was the big HBO, uh, I think it was Alex Gibney did it, um, documentary about Scientology. And it was fine a little surface level for my taste. And this movie is like way different. It like the approach of this movie is, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, just like more rebellious. Like, uh, there he, Louis through is a, a guy who's very interested in finding out the mechanics of things and like how things work. And with Scientology, obviously that's very difficult because they're so secretive. And mm. so he goes about it in a very interesting way, which is he, attempts to get interviews with people nobody will talk to him obviously Mm -hmm. so he decides well you know i'll interview these ex members of the church who are high ranking and then they'll tell me what happened and then i'll recreate those things with actors uh so he a lot of the movie is about the process of like casting these actors to play david miscavige who's like the leader of their um church and uh you see a lot of interesting like you know, internal Scientology footage that they've shot, you know, this, uh, like these weird ceremonies and shit that they do <clears throat> and how they like hail pictures of, uh, L. Ron Hubbard. It's like really bizarre. They like stare at them and like salute them and shit. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's just a fantastically entertaining and incredibly interesting film. Uh, and Louis through, if you haven't seen anything with Louis through before, like literally this guy is the most interesting person to watch do anything. He is endlessly clever, funny, dry as fuck. And just, <laughs> it just asks really smart questions. Just 
really brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And um, in this, even there's this great scene at the end where he has he has a bit of a falling out with the one of the fellows that he's been uh, bringing that he's brought in, uh, an ex member of the church. And the guy tells him to go fuck himself, and he just keeps telling him, he says, go fuck yourself, just go fuck yourself, Louis. And Louis says, I, I consider myself fucked, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I was like, that's that's great, that's, what, a, what a way to respond to that, I consider myself fucked. <laughs> oh, man. So, it's really terrific. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, he's just, he's absolutely great. Um, check out my Scientology movie, it's on Netflix, I gave it a 5 out of 5, I loved it. Nice. I'd watch it again t- today. <laughs> JR. Nice. All right. Um, my last one, I caught up with uh, Edward Norton's latest directorial mm-hmm. effort, mm. um, Motherless Brooklyn, which largely uh, flopped, I think, back in September or October. Um, um, mixed reviews, I think. Yeah. Some well, people yeah. I mean, mixed reviews with with no money. Right, right, right. Of course, yeah. no of course no one is going to see it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know who the audience for this uh two and a half hour, you know, kind of noir pastiche was besides you know, me. Um <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, it, yeah, I got the sense that Norton's basically directing his friends in this kind of twisty but mostly predictable uh 50s New York set neo noir and uh Norton definitely wanted it to be Chinatown, oh. uh, and, and I, I have no knowledge of um, the Jonathan Lethem book this is based on. Besides that, it is a contemporary novel, and Norton moved it, and basically basically moved this character into kind of like the '50s private investigator world. No shit, it's set uh, in the present day. The novel, yeah. Oh wow, yes. I did not know that. Hmm. That's very it's, interesting. Seems like an odd choice, and, and I, I, I want to read it now. I'd like to see how they compare. Um, but it's, you know, instead of Chinatown, it kind of ends up being like an overlong, kind of like run-of-the-mill classic noir, you know? Mm. like you know, I, Classic noirs are typically between 80 and 100 minutes, and this one is 150, but, you know, otherwise it kind of it plays out like you'd expect. Um, and it, it, Norton gets pretty good performances out of everyone but himself. <laughs> he he plays the main character Lionel, is private eye with Tourette's and OCD, uh, trying to solve a murder of his boss and friend Bruce Willis, and uh, he goes way way overboard <laughs> on the uh, like the Tourette's ticks and stuff, and it like that just. You could see that coming, though, right? I mean, it's like he, he, yeah, yeah, you could see it in the trailers. I yeah. I was hoping the trailers emphasized that more than you know was present in the movie, and that was not the case. It's he I mean, he can get just kind of straight up annoying with with it, but uh, you know he gets like embroiled in this kind of land grabbing conspiracy orchestrated by Alec Baldwin and like a team of goons, and uh, <laughs> you know I think Alec Baldwin is asked to go like to evil to be great but he's pretty fun and then like uh gugu mbatha raw and willem dafoe michael k williams bobby cannavale they're all they're all good and uh the whoever um or not whoever i know who we were who, the cinematographer norton worked with uh dick pope made the matrix uh, really yeah he shot yeah. the matrix yeah oh. cool I mean, he made uh 50s new york really like it's fucking good um they're 
you know, they're mostly like in dive bars and rundown buildings. And there's lots of like cool greens on the walls and deep blues. And there's a ton, ton of like neon signage in all the locations. And I have no idea if that's anachronistic or if, you know, the mid fifties were like a boom time for neon signs, but they look, they look fucking good. Mm. And, uh, you know, Besides Little Women, the theme of my night is three and a half in this. Uh, this is three and a half. <laughs> yeah, I I was not super interested in this, and mm. I'll tell you mainly because, and this is ridiculous, but there's a scene in the trailer where he says hello to. Uh, he's sitting in a car and he says hello to Bruce Willis's character, and he calls him like Franco or something like that. And like Bruce Willis, just the smile on Bruce Willis's face, it just made me want to puke. And I was like, I can't watch <laughs> yeah. this movie. <laughs> it, it's so the. That ended up being one of my favorite things in the movie. The way people react to Norton's tics yeah. is like, it's annoying, and he'll say inappropriate things, and he'll like touch your shoulder. It, it's really strange, but Bruce Willis is, is his friend in yeah. the movie, so like his reaction makes sense. Like he's developed patience with Edward Norton, um, but like <laughs> the first time he meets Alec Baldwin, like face to face. Like he's he's doing like the shtick and Alec, like and like his thing is like he's he'll like he'll say like burnt tits and uh, <laughs> and and then I'll be like I'm so sorry it's a condition I can't control it and Alec Baldwin's like no it's okay it's okay I'm here possibly to kill you but it's okay <laughs> burnt it's so tits. it's so strange wow uh, but like it, it makes it seem like everyone in the fifties was super accepting of of this strange disease Tourette's and, and they don't Norton's character does not have the name Tourette's and, and that could be maybe this was not like a a, a disease name yet uh, mm. but or a condition name yet but yeah he never says Tourette's he never says OCD or um, yeah but it's it's got the heebie-jeebies you know, that's what they called it back then yeah like, <laughs> I, I would say I would say this movie was for me and the best I can give it is a three and a half so if it really sounds like it's not for you, it's probably not. Like I was like kind of into the idea when I heard about this movie until he mentioned the stuff about Tourette's and OCD. I was like, no, I'm out. I remember because uh, I'm just tired of like you know like sort of like brilliant minds with these ticks that we're supposed to just accept. It's like yeah. yes, I get, I get it. It's. It's a real thing, but like. But I think he does like. It does a good job of like like Edward Norton is not like a successful person. He has found a group of four people that accept him. Uh, you know, like Bruce Willis is is kind of like a saintly figure in the movie. I thought um, you were talking the about brief... the actual Ed Norton for us. I was like, you were saying like oh. Edward Norton, the actor, is <laughs> oh, not yeah. successful. But he's found four people who like him, and he can he's make him successful. No, no. <laughs> this, you know, this, like, he has a small circle of people that accept him. Um, but, like, he was, he was the private investigator's assistant until Bruce Willis is killed, you know, five mm. minutes into the movie. That's not a spoiler. Um, and he kind of, like, he, he is supposed to be smart. Like, he's got a photographic memory thing, too, mm. of course. Um, and he kind of uses that to, investigate this murder but like his co-workers are like what the fuck are you doing like he died we need to get this business rolling so like we're not in debt immediately or like we don't lose our jobs that kind of thing 
um, they do a good job of, of not just making him like a savant savior. Mm. Well, that's good. Or rather, Norton does a good job of writing the uh, part for himself. Mm. <laughs> in in that sense. But yeah, that's it. All right. Um, I mean, I, I I watched Prince of Darkness, but I don't really have a lot to say about it. It was fine. And uh, the Asian guy who's in it's really funny. But I thought it was a little messy at times. And it's just messy in the way that all John Carpenter films are messy. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not 100% on board with this, like, reevaluation of Carpenter as a great auteur, you know, director and he's you know he's a genre filmmaker i don't think he ever tried to be anything but that and uh you know some of his movies are pretty good none of them are great in my opinion and uh that's 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 that the the last the one of the last shots of this movie uh of the there's this uh girl who jumps into a mirror i'm not gonna explain any of that but she jumps into a mirror (laughs) and she's in like an alternate universe and she's like reaching back towards the thing and she's clearly underwater but the way they film it but it's just like it's so it's a really haunting great image but um Mm. other than that i mean there's nothing super special about this movie in my opinion yeah i mean i think carpenter is one of those people that like especially like people our age saw Mm -hmm. these movies when when we were younger and like Love them, and now sure. you know. I mean, if I had seen that, like I saw the thing for the first time in the last five years, and I liked it, but I feel like if I had seen the thing when I was like thirteen, oh, it, yeah. I would like I would fucking love it, you know? Right? It'd be way high up for me. Yeah. Actually, I've only seen his films as an adult, and I, you know, I, I agree that they're all messy, but I. I typically really enjoy the mess, hmm. um, you know, and, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say any of his films are perfect or anywhere close to perfect, but they, I do generally find them to be a, a very good time. Including I mean, yeah, they're, Darkness. Yeah. they're extremely entertaining and they're charming as all get out. But like, I just feel like there's a lot of like these people who are trying to reevaluate him as some kind of like, you know. You, just don't, you don't get it. This guy is genius. Like, look what he's doing here with the. It's just like know, he's just shooting. He's very like uh, you know, just kind of an average, normal director. He just he has good ideas and uh, he's really striking imagery sometimes. But uh, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. It's just not, I'm not blown away by him. That's all. I love vampires. <laughs> vampires <laughs> that's vampires that's the one you love. Vampires rules, you... man. I really do like vampires a lot. <laughs> I haven't seen that is, one. Is that one you saw as a kid? Is that... Yeah, I did actually. <laughs> That's okay. weird. Yeah, I did see vampires when I was a teenager. Right, right? but I do. I mean, but it's just like it's like probably his most violent movie and really um, mm. just a fun, you know, fun ride, man. Right. <laughs> I, right. I mean, I, again, I definitely agree. <laughs> yeah, it's great all of his movies are pretty fun, except I hate Escape from New York. But I, oh, yeah, you, know, you, what, you, what are you, you had no, you had no good things to say about that. Yeah, it's trash. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember hating that. Yeah. Hey, good for no, you. No, I'm hating your conversation oh, about damn, it. Not the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get on to uh, the main review here. 40 Guns, directed by Sam Fuller from 1957, starring Barbara Stanwyck and uh, a bunch of uh, people I've never heard of. Uh, JR probably knows that, some yeah. of them. No? You don't know any of them? <laughs> no, not really, no. No, okay, yeah, good. Me, I mean, me like, neither. It makes I, me I feel better. I could uh, look at, like, Barry Sullivan's imdb and be like oh i've seen that i've seen that i've seen that but no i don't i don't remember barry sullivan right, right. in uh in a bunch of movies is he does he play um, griff sorry does he play griff is that barry sullivan yes okay yeah. he looks ah. he looks like franklin jella doesn't he 
He does. Yeah. I was like, this guy looks. I for a second, I was like, there's no way this is Frank Langella because he's like old in this movie, and Frank Langella <laughs> right. is you know like eighty now. Yeah, you know, he right. was only he was only forty five, and he was fucking younger than Barbara Stanwyck. He looks ancient in this fucking For, thing. Barbara Stanwyck was forty nine when she filmed this, right? Which is yeah, like a pretty good. Not like she's like a like a smoke show, but she's pretty good. Forty nine. No, yeah, she looks um, all right. Yeah. She's so I uh, <laughs> I love Samuel Fuller. This is a Samuel Fuller movie. This is uh, you know nineteen fifty seven. We're deep into his western and warish B movie phase um, of his career. I love most of the movies from this time period from uh, Samuel Fuller. I chose this one specifically because I I just didn't really remember it. Um, and I kind of regret making you guys sit through another 50s Western that focuses on a woman just because I made, you know, <laughs> not there's anything wrong with that. Just like I've made you guys watch Johnny Guitar already. Um, and that's three Westerns in the past calendar year. So I... Uh, I'm going to chill out on the Westerns for a little bit after this. But uh, this one's about... What was the other Western? I'm sorry. Uh, Ozana's Raid. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, Ozana's yeah, Raid, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I imagine at the end of this, that will probably be the favorite of most of us. Because uh, it's really good. We'll see. Don't. Okay. <laughs> Don't you say shit about Ozana's Raid. Uh, <laughs> I think you already did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and this is about so notorious Marshall Barry Sullivan and his two uh, brothers, one of whom is a marshal. Also, the other one is just tagging along. The youngest one He's supposed mm. to be a farmer. They keep making fun of him for being a farmer. And like, he's like, I want a gun. They're like, no. Like, why is he there? We don't know. We don't know why he's there. <laughs> well, he's there um, specifically for that, that one scene the, where he is mm, later. Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah, where he rescues them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, the brothers arrive in town with a warrant for the arrest of this guy who works for uh, this just massively powerful, you know, we'll call her a county boss. Land baron. Like one, one, of, one of this person's gunmen. Like, uh, this person seems to own the town. She's got the law in her pocket, so I gave it away. It's a she. That boss ends up being uh, Barbara Stanwyck and just absolutely lords over the county with her band of the titular uh, 40 gunmen. Mm. And, uh, you know, Sullivan and Stanwyck obviously uh, come into contact because she's going to arrest her employee. And he has punched out her brother when he's been like a drunken dick. And uh, they kind of develop a mutual respect that turns into straight up attraction, even as he's like picking away at her authority in the town. And uh, her top man, the, uh, the sheriff, and her brother kind of uh, realize they have a lot to lose if this guy keeps arresting them, like legitimately arresting them for crimes, and uh, try to take him out. And uh, I would say the end is, the end's got a lot of action based on that, whereas the the rest of the plot kind of just kind of, uh, I don't know, I want to say it like plods along. It's, uh, you know, giving us a lot of this woman's presence and it's kind of giving us a lot of Barry Sullivan's, you know, anti-violence philosophy and there's a lot of great imagery, but the, the plot doesn't really seem to get moving until the last 20 minutes of the 80 minute movie. But, uh, you know, I've got a lot of thoughts, a lot of notes on the imagery and the characters, but what, what'd you guys think? 
So I saw in the credits that the lenses they were using were from Bausch and Lomb. And like straight away in this movie, you can see that he was like, you know what? Camera stuff. That's what this movie is going to be about. Like, yeah, lot of, like a lot of like, um, like there's a shot where like the guys like looking through the gun barrel at the girl and well, some, some bond shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah! Literally, they really ripped that off for Bond, eh? Yeah, they did. <clears throat> and they're and like royalty, and like when uh, like the um, the blind guy has been attacked, like like his like you know vision gets blurry and and all that. Oh yeah, the POV from yeah, yeah, and like the the shots like like at the very beginning, the shots from underneath the uh, the wagon as they're as they're as the forty guns are going by, right. And we also get like the uh, the pre Sergio Leone uh, close ups of the the eyes as Barry Sullivan's walking to eventually like very slowly walking mm. to punch out the drunk brother. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of that. And and real quick, uh, I could I tried to confirm this. I read it in a review. This was supposedly filmed in just over a week. Oh wow. Uh, and it's like a cheap ass B movie that I'm like, how does Samuel Fuller have like time for all this crazy ass camera stuff? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, sorry. Continue. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't think that. Oh, don't um... continue. <laughs> <laughs> He's out of stuff. To... I was like, camera, camera stuff. That's it. <laughs> well, I mean, the rest, of, the rest of the movie just kind of, I don't know. It's like, like it reminds me a lot of like Tombstone, if um, you know Kevin Co- not Kevin Costner, what uh, if Kurt Russell fell in love with um, uh, Powers Booth and was played by Frank Langella? Yeah. <laughs> this uh, and and damn it, Kevin. Uh, like if you look at the IMDb trivia, it says like in an interview, Sam Fuller said this was inspired by the story of Wyatt Earp. Well, it's like really obvious that yeah, it's inspired yeah. like, by we, Wyatt yeah, Earp. Yeah, the, the right? brothers coming into town and being the law. <laughs> and, yes, uh, just uh, there are I, scenes. I there are scenes about... that are literally like almost exactly the same as scenes from Tombstone in this movie. Like, yeah, that are, like he clearly was like read a biography of Wyatt Earp and then right, you know, adapted this. But they probably like like they probably. I'm not sure when the Lancaster Douglas version of uh, Gunfight at the OK Corral was, but they probably like, oh, I want to do a Wyatt Earp movie. Well, we just had it. Well, then they had with, uh, with my, Burt Lancaster darling, and Kirk Douglas. My darling Clementine. It's, it's definitely around oh, yeah, this yeah. Time. Prior to this, hmm? it's definitely around this time. I'm gonna look right, up right. Uh, when, but yeah, uh, yeah. The the similarities are glaring, and that's and you know that's probably why Sam Fuller went. It's okay, fuck. Gunfight the OK Corral is also the same year, 1957. Um, uh oh. <laughs> well, there, there we go. When was I, yeah, when so, was my darling Clementine? That was like in the 50, like 50, right or 51. Oh, early. I think that's earlier. Yeah, um, I mean, it definitely is earlier. I'm just. But yeah, I can see. You know, Sam Fuller doing a lot to differentiate himself from something like a block. Not Gunfight the OK Corral is not a blockbuster, but it was not a B movie the way that this is. Right, like, yeah, like Lancaster. Shit, Clementine's and... 46. Oh, is ah, it Jesus? Okay. I didn't know it was that old. Mm. 
Because like I was watching a review the other day of uh, the Maltese Falcon, and like it reminded me that there was like two versions of the movie before the Bogart version. Mm. I um, I was gonna say. I mean, I'll just, I'm just gonna go in order of my notes that the opening shot is the most beautiful shot in the film, and the film looks great. But yeah. that opening shot of the clouds passing over the prairie or whatever that is, um, it just like it reminded me a lot of uh, clearly like the Coen brothers are influenced by this movie, and it's just like the opening shot of No Country for Old Men, where the same thing happens: the shadows of the clouds are moving over the yeah, yeah. landscape. Um, uh, just a wonderfully, uh, I don't know, affecting shot, and uh, really enjoyed that. Loved the whole opening and the credit sequence and everything. And then uh, we get to the town, and uh, there's a fellow singing. <laughs> and, uh, I'll tell you, I was the really woman, thr- and the woman with the whip. Yeah, I was really thrown for a loop. I was like, "Is this a fucking musical?" Because <laughs> this guy is singing, <laughs> and there is music playing, and there is nobody playing music. And then finally, he walks, and there's a guy in the background playing a guitar. And I was like, "Okay, yeah. so this guy is just like a a guy who likes to sing for right, fun or right. whatever." And were, I was like, "That's were you just cool. like." Thank God. I no, no. Honestly, off. I wouldn't have mattered. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have minded if it was a if it was a musical. I just wouldn't have expected. I would have thought you would have mentioned it if it was. You know. So <laughs> yeah. I was just curious. I was like, "This is crazy. Is this a musical?" And it's just like, no. It's just that's the fifties for you. You know, they just got to throw in. They got to have a song in this one. You know. It's, it's, yeah. Get a little number so, in there. Yeah. And I actually have thoughts about the the music that um, I think. Samuel Fuller did a lot to not give us a ton of like super traditionally direct uh, like exposition mm-hmm. for Barbara Stanwyck's character. And at this point, we've seen Barbara Stanwyck on a horse, but she has not spoken. She doesn't speak. She doesn't have a line of dialogue until about twenty minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, my, my next question for you guys is about Barbara Stanwyck because um, like she's not the main character, but she is like this huge presence in the movie and everyone seems to be making their decisions around her influence. But I, I thought they did a great job of like just establishing her power in the, uh, in the in the very beginning, like the guy singing, like you realize pretty quickly he's singing about her and he's not singing about any like literal stuff that she does. It's just kind of establishing like her legend, um, like at, in this town. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and that, that opening shot where the she and the 40 gunmen who in like that fight, like it felt like more than fucking 40. I agree. Um, but it uh, like that just kind of establishes like her her force. And then there are some scenes in the, the beginning that like we see buildings that have her name on it, like the Drummond Sawmill. This kind of establishes like she's got some massive reach and just straight up owns this place. And that's good stuff. And that's I, like that's really subtle exposition, you know, uh, yeah. especially the idea of naming things after her is really that's smart. I, I think I would say that in a 50s Western, this is that it's some pretty sophisticated stuff right. at, mm. the, at the very beginning. I agree. Although I, I agree with all that, although I was confused uh, about what exactly her role like why she for instance had 40 guns i was like i was like is she like a gang leader i was that's what i was thinking initially i was like she must like lead this gang and i was kind of like it's a little ridiculous that this like frail like this little old i mean she's not old but this like little lady is like leading a gang but then i was like when they you know kind of expressed that she was a like a land baron or a rancher or whatever i was like oh it makes a lot more sense actually and i'm totally and, and we have no idea if she's like 
if she's been widowed and inherited all this sure, stuff, exactly, like what exactly, she did exactly. to get all this money. We've, we've and no there's clue. yeah, and there's plenty of uh, possible explanations that that uh, yeah. put all that to rest. So, mm. um, yeah, and I, I mean, I liked her in the film. Actually, uh, I think she had my favorite line in the whole film, which is, uh, I mean, you know what the line is, right? Come on, no, best the, line the best the line film. in the film is yeah. "This is good wood for the stock." Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, no, where she says, I was born upset. He says, you seem upset. And he says, I was born upset. And then, right, they, ride, yeah. and then they ride into the dust storm. Oh, yeah. Dust storm scene. Pretty good scene. Yeah. Where she gets dragged by the horse. I read yeah. that uh, the stunt woman wouldn't do it. So she was like, I'll just yeah. fucking do it. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It made me um, respect her a lot yeah. more. That was a and hardcore yeah, scene. Yeah, it was really intense. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I was, I was like, pretty impressed that the Russo brothers have seen this. Have they? Because you know, oh. the... The Hulk, get it? That's, uh, what the, that's what the Hulk says. I don't. Or, I'm, he's like, I'm always angry. Oh, right. oh, I get. Oh, I get. So that, that's yeah, a reference yeah, to Forty yeah. Guns for sure. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I do have. I have like this, like little nitpick. Uh, like when uh, I like. Okay, it's something that I like and both dislike at the same time, and almost in equal measure. But when someone is shot. I'm trying to remember who gets shot, but he's like spitting all over the place. Like his saliva is coming out of his mouth constantly. There's a lot of people who die in this movie and keep breathing. Yeah. But who's the guy? (laughs) This is like early. This is like relatively early on. He's like, he's got like a ton of saliva just pouring out of his mouth. Um, Are you talking about the blind guy? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. It happens pretty early. It's disgusting. That guy was shot in the leg. He didn't right. die. That's what There's somebody who's, I'm pretty sure this guy, it's somebody like shot in the gut or something, but he's like mm. spitting out constantly. And I was just like, this is fucking gross. But at the same oh, time, I was this... like, I was like, this is awesome because they can't obviously have him spitting out blood because it's like right, they have, right. you know, sensors and everything. Yeah. So it's kind of a good way to get, a, get, a, get that across that this is a serious injury, you know, right. but it was just really gross. Cause it was like, obviously spit. Yeah. Nasty. <laughs> I hate saliva. I don't. I mean, I wish I could remember. I can't who remember. This was. I wish I had it. Was it was it computer. Bailey in the jail cell when he gets shot in the back? Oh, you know what? It might be. That might be it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because I was. I remember when that happened. I was like really confused. I was like, How, what the fuck just happened? I was like, he got shot by who? You know? And then they explain it pretty yeah. quickly, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is him because they they go and talk to him, don't they? He's not quite dead, right? Right. And they're like asking, oh, because, yeah, the sheriff yeah. guy's like, what What happened? Who did this to you? Oh, no, right, I don't right, know what right. happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sheriff. That's that, sheriff. Uh, <laughs> that is, you know, the sheriff does a good job of being like, like playing like he's totally ineffectual. Mm. And he, you know, he's like super okay with admitting that, you know, he basically works for uh, Barbara Stanwyck and not the law. But then he like he's like conniving and clever clever and like mm. it's it like orders people's deaths oh yeah, totally. yeah. It's, uh, he tries to like, I mean, he outright tries to murder uh griff right so yeah oh yeah, yeah. He thinks he does for a second yeah <laughs> uh, and that's that's the violence scene too like that's they send uh they send griff's youngest brother away you know they they give him a gun but send him away back to the farm and uh the sheriff has a guy waiting in a window to fire down on Griff in this, uh, you know, kind of, we'll call it a setup. Mm. And, uh, of course, brother rushes in and shoots the gunman in the back of the fucking head yeah. and brags 
Like, hey, I got him! I got him in the back of the head! <laughs> yeah. Right in the back of the head! That's the scene that is very similar to Tombstone. The following scene where they have that guy in the window of the uh, mortuary or whatever, yep. and they've got the signs up that said he was murdered by the Bunnell brothers. That mm-hmm. literally happens in Tombstone after they shoot um, one of the brothers. I think it's at the OK Corral, and they have their they're bringing him through town, and they have a banner that says "Murdered by the Earp Brothers." Mm. So, uh, and that scene with the brother is has my act my favorite line, which was, you know, Griff is just looking at his brother. Oh, I wrote this one uh, down too. Clearly upset, yeah. and and the brother says, "Now what I do wrong?" And Griff's like, "Now you've killed a man." Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. so fuck. so Seth's good, so good, so good." It reminded it was, me of uh, it reminded me of Unforgiven. And the best line of that film where he says, uh, I guess he had it coming. He says, we all have it coming. <laughs> That's you know, just great. Yeah. Westerns are so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, don't, don't make it the last Western. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy Westerns. Even um, when, even like when, you know, it's like I was thinking about, um, I was talking to my buddy about Tombstone the other day. I mean, I hate to be keeping up Tombstone, but I was talking about Tombstone. I was like, I was like, you know, it's just like, I think, uh, I didn't give Westerns a chance for so long because, tombstone came so early on in my life and it's so like it's such an action movie and it's got so much blood in it and squibs and you know it's got these huge characters and you know these flashy performances and it's like that's what i want from all my westerns now and if they don't have that i'm not interested Mm. and uh it's just unfortunate you know it's not until you get older and you you realize that there's actually a lot to um take in from some of these earlier films, even though they don't yeah. have the same flashiness, you know? Right. It's, there's a lot to be said about subtlety, you know? Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, and there so were, I, like, oh, sorry. I was just, excuse me, like, uh, they're like, like, I think the first Western that I ever watched was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and I've been meaning to watch that again forever, and I need to watch uh, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly again. But yeah, like, Westerns, yeah, they certainly have like a lot to offer if they're good. I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, before I get to to my problems, and I, and I do think this movie has problems, uh, especially just with structure, and then uh, the end. And I can I can justify what happens in the end, but I don't like it very much. But um, they're. Just, I guess just more of like Stanwick's presence. Like when Brocky is thrown in jail after like drunkenly shooting John and, and Griff fucking punches him out while he's waving a gun. Uh, Stanwick shows up to the jail and wonders what he's doing in there. And like, there's this, the fucking judge just like is hanging out in the jailhouse. And just all of a sudden <laughs> when, uh, Stanwick is in oh, there, yeah. just like, it's like, all right, time for court. Um, and finds Brocky guilty of disturbing the peace and a $50 fine and nothing else. And this dialogue, like this monologue is playing out as we're watching uh, Brocky and Stanwyck walk out of the jailhouse. And like they're on their horses and gone before they hear whether he's guilty or what his fine is or anything like that. And I, mm. I've, I fucking loved it. Oh, I love that shit yeah, too. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I thought you were saying that was bad. I was like, that's, no, that I, is I like one of my favorite it. parts in the movie. That, that yeah. shot of him, when he just, when they open the jail cell and he just immediately just rushes out and it's like following him out. I was like, this is terrific, man. Yeah. <laughs> like this is, it felt really ahead of its time. Like I can't believe this is a shot in this movie. Like, yeah, the, yeah. It was amazing. Um, 
we talked about the dust storm. I like that. Uh, I really, uh, this, the, the Charlie Savage scene where, where the scene we talked about where he got shot in the back of the head. Um, I thought that was really like a lot of suspense. Like they did a really good job of building the suspense in that scene. Like by the sheriff explaining to that nervous guy what he was going to do, like kind of mm-hmm. running down what was going to happen. And then it happening. It was just like, it was very, uh, even though, you know, I mean, you kind of know that guy's not going to get like the main character's not going to get killed, but you don't really understand what's going right. to, like, how is he not going to get killed? You know? Right. And then, uh, the, the other, the other connection to the herbs, I guess, is the, uh, when the, when the brother, this is a little bit, this is maybe like a little bit of a nitpick too. the, the his older brother, his brother, who's not the youngest brother. I don't Wes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's t- he, where he's asking him what he's going to do next. And he's like, I'm going to marry that gunsmith lady and then I'm going to move here. And I'm just like, okay, so this guy's about to get killed, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. he's, talking, mean, he's, he's talking way too much about the future right now. Yeah. <laughs> and he's the one that's like, this, this is good wood for the stock. Like he's a fucking <laughs> horn dog with that blonde. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like, it's pretty blatant. I was surprised at that. They, they do not have like an innocent romance. <laughs> right. Uh, they definitely like fucked right after that scene. <laughs> Like where they're kissing, and every time they kiss, there are guns on the wall, uh, which I thought was great. That makes them horny. Uh, uh, for, subtle foreshadowing, maybe. <laughs> well, um, maybe, maybe. Never, but that, kissed, but never it, kissed a gunsmith before. It reminded any, me of any uh, recoil. <laughs> it reminded me of uh, of you know, uh, I, 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 I cannot stand. I keep mentioning Tombstone, they, but but the, there's a scene. You know, there's the scene late in Tombstone where Virgil and Morgan Earp are both shot. Right. You know, right, and right. it's just reminded me of that. It's like, of course, these guys are like the brothers yeah. are going to be attacked. You know. Yeah, yeah. To get at Wyatt, or to get in this case at Griff. Yeah, yeah. But there was also the jump. The, the, there's some weird jump scares in this movie. Like there's the uh, the cat. During that scene oh, yeah, with all the yeah, suspenses, yeah. there's a cat that just drops out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, yeah. Jesus. And it got me. And then there's the other one where he's just talking to Barbara Stanwyck <laughs> at the piano and all of a sudden just gunshots oh, just great. fly through, you know, and start yeah. breaking everything. I was like, oh, man, that, that really got me, too. I was like, I'm not yeah. expecting that shit at all. Because it's like this really, like, sweet romantic moment and, yeah. like, the... Like the the violins are playing and yeah. then, like, bam, 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 and all, is, this gr- all the glass shatters. Right. Which is a great way to to interrupt such a you know yeah, lame yeah. Uh, romantic scene <laughs> we want to see that shit we want to see gunfire man <laughs> so uh, okay I'm sorry you now. know I, I imagine you guys had some problems and uh so i love the sandstorm i think it's gorgeous i think it is moody as fuck mm-hmm. i think it's a really interesting thing to add into basically the the middle of this this western that's kind of clipping along Mm. Um, but I also, it it did like, it kind of took me out of like the, the trance I was in with the, the first half of the movie where I was, I was with everything and I loved it's again, I love the sandstorm itself. Um, but it, it totally, totally switched the pace of the movie for a little bit. Like then we get the kind of romantic scene in the barn and then it's like back to the sort of pace it had where then of course, like we we're going into, to West getting shot. And then we basically have like 15 minutes of Griff's like revenge drama play out. Mm. Uh, so I, I thought that the, the sandstorm kind of like whacked up the pace mm. and, uh, and it was hard for me to get back into the flow when it got back to the, the violence in the town. Yeah. I think like the sandstorm, like, like before that, it's you know 
like I think is when you get most of like the cool camera stuff. But then like after that, yep. the movie just kind of becomes more conventional in general. I mean, my 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 only my big issue with it that drags it down for me is uh, kind of like it's not it's not something you can fix. I don't think, which is the the love story itself. I'm not a huge fan of. Like I don't I don't need Griff and Jessica to fall in love. And it kind of bothers me that they do. It feels like contrived, like it's a Hollywood film and they have to have a love story at the center of it. But at the same time, it drives the plot forward a lot. And it's like it creates right. the central conflict and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, like there's loads of complications from them wanting to be with each other. And so I understand why it's there. But it's just like I all the scenes with them just like, you know, talking to each other. I'm just like, I don't none of this shit means anything to me. Like, let's get mm-hmm. back to the, the actual plot of the film. <laughs> But, right. um, you know, so that's a, that's just an issue that I have. That's, you know, kind of, uh, it, it, yeah. Can't, can't and like, get the, rid of it. These problems, they, they, they pay off mm-hmm. well, you know, like the, yeah, like the, the, the brother shooting the guy at the back of the head is after the sandstorm. That mm. is a great payoff. The, you know, Wes getting shot as he's getting married by Brocky is, you know, that is a good payoff. I like that. Um, there the the only thing I really don't like is the last three minutes. I think uh, Baraki grabbing his sister and using as a her, her using her as a human shield was mm. great, and I think Griff fucking shooting her. Oh, amazing! In, like the yeah. the lower gut or the leg wherever he shot her was fucking brilliant him and, and, read, and him yeah. annihilating the brother too with yeah just, the, just, the just emptying, him. emptying the gun like, into him yeah i am not a violent man but i just fucking shot you the fuck to death yeah and i like uh, how he just steps over her too he's like not worried about he just shoots her he's like get her a doctor she'll live <laughs> and so Badass. i did see the, the original script had griff just shooting her and killing her mm. like barbara stanwick dies in that scene um, I would have been. I might have preferred that actually. <laughs> I I think I would have. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's yeah, the cause... classic like studio interference says mm. no, 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 no. Like, because because it's the classic thing where the hero is no longer a hero. He shot the woman, killed the woman, uh, that kind of thing. So we basically had to have uh, Barbara Stanwyck standing up, being okay, and literally chasing Griff as he rides out of town. Brutal. That, Brutal. that is that was that was the fucking... thing that kind of killed. That was not yeah. good. Especially like after, you know, he goes to he goes to see his brother and like, well, you know, I'm leaving for California and et cetera. Like, well, why don't you take why don't you take her with you? And you know, she loves you, you know, uh, blah 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 blah. And like, nah, she wouldn't have me. I mean blah 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 blah. You know, Which I Which makes I, total I, sense. Yeah. I mean with, you just with shot what we know you. about her. Yeah. And then to have her like running after him like a teenager chasing the Beatles in the sixties, like f- fuck off. I like you, you know, just there's killed a, that you just killed this movie. Just there, straight up kicked it in the balls. Yeah. There's an argument to be made that like over the course of the past forty minutes, um her ego, her power, it's all been chipped away at, right? By mm. By Griff, but he did not fucking chip away enough for her to literally chase after him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 
especially after he's sh- fucking shot her. Yeah. <laughs> shot her, killed her brother. Yeah. Which, like, you know, she was kind of resigned to the fact that he was going to hang anyway. Well, she said she'd do anything she could to, to save him, though. You know, uh, she was right, always right, on right, his right, side. Right. I mean, she's always, like, didn't want anything to happen to him. Yeah. But I love those scenes too. I mean, just not to go back, but like the just the the scenes where she chastises him, like where she takes his guns away. I love yeah, that yeah, shit. Yeah. That was oh, really great. That was, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, she yeah. just opens her saddlebag, like, "Give me your fucking guns." Yeah. I loved all that, and I liked when I lo- I liked it when the sheriff caught him with the guns on again too, and was like, <laughs> "I cannot believe you got those guns on again." <laughs> yeah, and he made him take them off again. Like that guy just yeah. gets fucking. Uh, what y'all, down what y'all think of that scene where the sheriff like confesses his love for Jessica? See, I I, I wasn't a big fan of that either. I mean, yeah, like that, like, but again, that's like it's understandable, it, it create, but yeah. like I still didn't it, really it, want to see it. It like it 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 gave him the motive. I it made explicit his motive, right, right, right for for the way he acts, mm. and I don't think we needed it for for him to make sense as a character, but. I get it. I think he. I mean, yeah. There's plenty of yeah. reason for him to want Griff dead without being in love with her. Yeah, right. and like, I, I think especially in like this kind of movie, they probably could have gotten away with like, you know, a a, a glance here or there, and then like, like Jessica never learns it, but like Griff does, and then like there's an understanding between him and the sheriff. Yeah, that'd have been alright. But right. then, but then like the whole thing where she like, yeah, where like she writes out the check and like then he goes and hangs himself. Yeah, I forgot uh, what that hangs himself. Yeah, like, like they're like making straight... out and they're like, "What's that noise? Nothing, yeah. nothing. Let's keep making out." Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no. What? What's? What? What is that? And then like, like he hasn't even left the house. Like he just went on the other side of the um, other side of the of the building, and like he's just dead. Yeah, yeah. couldn't take it. Yeah, I only have one more note, which is a line. Another line. It's uh. At the very end, uh, right before he gets on his horse and rides away, before she starts chasing him, he says, uh, "You got to be big to forgive." I really like that oh, line yeah. too. And I'm, and I'm not that big. Because I'm not big enough. You got to uh, yeah, be big yeah, to yeah. forgive. <laughs> yeah, so that's good stuff. Yeah, some good lines in this one. Yeah, that's, I, honestly, yeah. and, and I'll and I'll be honest, it's my it's my very first Samuel Fuller film, and uh, it makes me want to watch more Samuel Fuller films. I put uh, the Naked mm. Kiss on my uh, queue on Prime, and. Uh, I, I know I've heard a lot of good things about uh what is it white dog, and uh, I please please don't watch that one. What soon? Oh no no, no okay. watch it eventually. Just like get get watch yourself others. through uh pick up on South Street. Yeah, I'm gonna watch and, earlier ones for and sure. Shot Corridor, yeah, yeah. Park Row, and get through his like it, it fixed bayonets especially. That's actually I kind of wish I'd made you guys watch that. Uh, not, not again. I really like this movie, but. Uh, his his war movies are amazing. Yeah, and I don't think that about a lot of war movies. Uh, but like White Dog is is just a really fucking strange thing, and it it is best to have a really good awareness of this guy's sensibilities sure. before you watch it. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the next one I was going to watch, but it's just one of the ones I'm very aware of. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I definitely I've heard a lot of great things about Shock Corridor as well, and. Uh, pick up on South street. So I, I'll definitely, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching more of his stuff for sure. I think he's a, a glaring omission for me. Oh, speaking of omissions, I can't believe it took me this long. I almost texted you guys about this. I found a director that JR has seen nothing from really. Yeah. I don't believe it. <laughs> it's I true. Don't believe it. His name is Charles Pierce. You can look him up. Uh, he directed, doesn't, he hasn't directed. Doesn't any. Sound, doesn't sound like a real director. <laughs> 
Let's see. Charles Pierce. He directed uh, the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Have you heard of this film? No. It's a horror film? I've seen it. From the How 70s? do you spell his name? Charles Pierce. Is it P-E-I or no, P-I-E? P-I-E? Nobody spells her name P-E-I. Well, <laughs> I, can't, I can't fucking find him. Okay. Pierce, oh, here P-I-E. We go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know these movies. I know, right? I was oh, Legend of Boggy Creek. Right. And I, hmm. I came across him because I uh, I saw... Um, I was looking at some film and, and uh, one of was his... Was it The Norseman? No, I was looking at a film and The Norseman was one of the... Like, you know, on IMDb where it says, like, these films are like this movie? Gotcha. And The Norseman yeah. was one of them. I was like, what the fuck is that? And it's, like, apparently, like, notoriously, like, horrible. But then I was like, <laughs> oh, this guy directed The Town of the Dreaded Sundown. I've heard of that movie. It's like a like a cult classic horror film. Ah. And they uh, made, a se- like, a sequel to it. Uh, I think uh, Alexander Aja even uh, directed it um, a few years ago. But, um... Yeah, so I was and I was like, wow, this is crazy. And I started looking at all the different films. I was like, JR has not seen any of these. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is a director not, he has yeah. seen nothing from and this guy has done a, quite a few films. So hmm. anyway, yeah. not not that, not that has anything to do with anything, but <laughs> it's my new my, it's my new shame. I get on it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all right, should we uh should we do ratings? Absolutely. Cool. All right, I'll go last. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Uh 3 and a half. I, I'm going, I, you know, I struggle between three and three and a half. And I actually, on my letterbox, as we were talking about it, I put three. And then we started talking about the uh, ending where he shoots her and kills her brother. And I was like, hey, you know what, three and a half. And then, we, <laughs> and then he started talking about how she runs after him. I was like, no, no, no three. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a three. Um, I'm definitely more in the, in the four zone. You know, like the ending doesn't totally kill it for me. Uh, and my... My structural issues are definitely more nitpicks. This is, uh, you know, I'm going to call this like medium tier Samuel Fuller, mm. uh, who, whom I whom I, I fucking adore him. So that's a uh, yeah, a four is medium for this director who's made a lot of films. So I, I guess like that says something about my taste. But I feel uh, like it'll yeah. have a really. I'll have a soft spot for it forever, though, because it's like it introduced me to Fuller, and I, th- I feel like I'm going to like Fuller a lot. So more, the more stuff I watch from him, so you know, yeah. I, and uh, it, it, his career was so long; like he, you know, he directed through like multiple periods of Hollywood, mm-hmm. and was you know, I, I don't want to ever say he was popular, but like he didn't always make such B movie. Kind of, I'm sure you guys have heard of the Big Red one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, his war movie in the uh, very early That's '80s, from '80, yeah, yeah. Well, I think. Uh, that- I think Shot Corridor is on Criterion, and it was like um... yeah. White Dog is too. Okay, Shot yeah. Corridor was well, pick up on and South Street Kiss. is too. Oh. Yeah, Naked Shot Corridor and Naked Kiss are two of Criterion's like earliest releases. They're like in the like like number like forty or thirty something like that. Oh, right, okay. right. Um, are, and yeah. Shot Corridor is the one I'd recommend out of those two. Like mm. Shot Corridor is fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that is definitely like in his, you know. The fifties were like a very B movie time. He's making movies cheap and quick, mm. and a lot of them are are great. But mm. um, they his his style grows, uh, his budgets grow. Oh, he also has an, an Eclipse series uh, that has the steel helmet and uh, some other ones on it. Mm. So yeah, three three westerns from him. Right. So, I shot uh, Jesse James, I believe, is one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've. I've yeah. Okay. Actually, the steel helmet is not a western. That's a war movie. Sorry, right. my bad. No, but that's 
I'm pretty sure that's in the Eclipse series. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I'll definitely, I'm looking forward to watching more of his stuff. Uh, mm. And, uh, oh, and he is, he's also in uh, the Vim Vendors film, right? Uh, An American Friend. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he plays Dennis Hopper's like mentor, uh, art dealer guy. He's the he's the old guy. Yeah, he's pretty terrific in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, next week is uh, Kevin's pick. Back to Kevin already. Yeah. This is the joy of having just three hosts. This <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> cycles really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Jonathan. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. I, I almost texted him today and be like, you know what? If you watch 40 Guns today and just show up, it'll be your pick technically, and then we'll just fuck Kevin over. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, if he's, if I show up, I didn't text him. He wouldn't have watched this movie. Uh, okay. It's too long. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't. I'll tell you, he wouldn't have liked it. I don't, uh, I don't think if I know anything about his, his settings. But anyways, what's your pick for next week, Kevin? Or next two weeks from now, probably. Probably. Uh, so we are gonna watch something that Jr. Probably has seen, but at least he hasn't logged it, which, which is strange. Oh no, he hasn't seen it then. He's, all his shit that he's seen is logged. I don't know. Right, uh, so we are going to watch Jason and the Argonauts from oh. 1963. Yeah, I've not seen this. Uh-oh. <sighs> oh, yeah, like what a choice. Yeah, directed by Don Chaffee, but it's he. You know, it's a Ray Harryhausen movie, so, right? That's uh, interesting, and it's 104 minutes. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> so next week we're going to watch Jason and the Argonauts, the uh, classic Harryhausen Greek mythology film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, remember to visit our website and our blog at filmyak.podiat.co. And uh, email us with your questions, comments, concerns, your anger, your love at uh, podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, until next time, uh, see you guys later. You've got a very heavy reputation. Did you guys watch the Fast and Furious 9 trailer? Speaking of Charlie's. I, isn't that just a teaser? It's like three whole fucking minutes. Uh, no, I did not watch it. Is it a scene from the movie know. like they've been doing? No, the no, no, no. It's a, it's a full-ass trailer. Okay, no, I haven't that seen it. That gives away the whole movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I haven't seen well, it. Well. Does it look any good? Awesome. <laughs> Justin Lin is back. <laughs>